Sports fans on this early Tuesday morning here in New York City. I'm Danielle McCartan. McCartan after midnight, talking all things New York sports with you up until the warm up show at 5 a.m. on this August 24th, 2021. I've got Nick Matina in the Matina with me tonight on the ones and twos, manning the phones and Matina in Italian, just so everybody knows, is morning. <laughs> and we're going to come, we're coming to you live from the Boomer. I'm sorry, the Carton and Roberts studio in Lower Manhattan. You guys know the number, 877-337-6666. And let's load them up with your best content only. I've got Tim Healy, New York Mets beat writer for Newsday, coming up in the 4 a.m. hour, so you guys can stay tuned for that. And before we kick off the show this morning, I just wanted to express uh, some condolences to the family of Rod, Rod Gilbert, Mr. Ranger, and the entire New York Rangers community. Gilbert was a hockey icon, and all of his on-ice accomplishments, I mean, there are way too many to name, but they all culminated in his number seven being the first jersey ever retired by the Rangers in the year 1979 and his induction into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1982. Rod Gilbert was 80 years old. So the Mets had an off day on Monday, and most Mets fans, most logical, sane Mets fans, found themselves rooting for the New York Yankees to beat the NL East leading Atlanta Braves. Let me channel my inner DJ Pauly D and tell you that I love scoreboard watching this time of year. And that's precisely where we're going to begin. That's right. That's right. New York baseball fans, we were all in this together in hoping for a Yankee victory over the Braves on Monday night. Recognize that from High School Musical, throwing it way back. Guess what? The Yankees got it done. Thanks to the New York Yankees, the New York Mets are now six and a half games back in the division without even having taken the field Monday night. In fact, the Yankees accomplished something Monday night that the Mets at this very moment have not yet accomplished. They established a winning record the Yankees have against the Braves in the year 2021. The Mets have split evenly their 16 games with Atlanta this season. The Yankees are 2-1. I know, just a slight, fun little jab. But it was a game that featured two teams entering with nine-game winning streaks. It's only happened two other times in Major League Baseball's history. Do you believe that? little baseball history for you. And the other two games were the Pirates against the Phillies on September 7th, 1901. And then the Nationals against the Maroons on September 13th, 1884. With Monday night's win, the Yankees own the longest winning streak in all of baseball. Ten games. I mean, when you look at I just was looking at it. The, all the other winning streaks, they're not even close. Go and check for yourselves. Anyway, back to your regularly scheduled programming for present-day baseball. Some takeaways from the Yankees at Braves from Monday night. One, I have three. Number one, the Yankees played an excellent defensive game. For that, look no farther than the bottom of the second and third innings. You knew it was going to be a tough night of work for the Braves when, A, in the bottom of the second, Joey Gallo saved an extra base hit and probably a run by taking a great angle to the ball, making a diving catch in left field. 
And by the way, the runner halted, halted in his tracks at first base and didn't even dare trying to advance. Even with Gallo on the ground after making the catch and, and, and the weight carrying him to the corner as well. The Gallo effect, as we've talked about a lot here on this show, is in full effect. And on the broadcast, the Yes Network, that is, they said that he traveled 84 feet in 4.6 seconds. So what does that mean? Well, according to my calculations, he was on a 13-mile-an-hour dead sprint to catch a ball with a 35% catch expectancy. Pretty good. And B, in the bottom of the third, Aaron Judge made an amazing over-the-shoulder catch in center field and covered a ton of ground to do so for out number two. And the second uh, takeaway I had from the Yankees-Braves game was, you know, I was sitting there watching the game on my couch, and I realized that we, I, don't give a certain Yankee enough love here on this show. Jonathan Loizaga was absolutely stellar in his two innings of work. And you know what? Just as dependable and just as reliable as he's been this entire season. I mean, how good was he? He made the Braves' batters look silly, actually. And Paul O'Neill said it best, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, in essence, there are few pitchers in this league that, when they're making their pitches, they're unhittable. He said, and this is a quote, Loisig is one of them. So in his two innings of work on Monday night against the red-hot Braves' bats, by the way, Loisga had four strikeouts and two soft-contact groundouts. In fact, the groundout to start the seventh inning happened on the first pitch. One pitch, one out. Gotta love it. And three. Perhaps the biggest surprise of the night. The two Yankees hitters that everyone likes to dog were the ones to come through for the only runs of the night. Giancarlo Stanton got it going with a solo home run and two RBI double. And, and then Gary Sanchez provided some insurance with a two RBI single. 5-1 Yankees, final score. Took the last game of their West Coast trip from the Dodgers. But I think I asked that same question that JoJo asked us all in the year 2006. Is it just a little too, <laughs> just too little, too late? Well, as we talked about on Saturday, the Mets are in the midst of a tough stretch. Their toughest of the entire season. The Dodgers and the Giants have the top two winning percentages in the entire league. And the Mets' record so far against those two teams during this stretch that dates back to Friday the 13th, by the way, 2-10. Those games might have well been played at Camp Crystal Lake because that record might even scare Jason Voorhees himself. Jokes aside, the, the, the Mets are not mathematically eliminated just yet. The fat lady is not singing at City Field just yet, but she is certainly warming up her pipes. It's easy to focus on the negative for a team that is in the midst of a catastrophic free-for-all and in the free-fall, I should say, and in the bottom of many metrics, both offensive and defensive. But I always challenge you guys to examine things differently from the proposed and, you know, exhaustive narrative. Take, for example, the fact that they are third in the league, the Mets are, in leaving runners in scoring position over the last three games. 
last of which I actually won. The eternal optimist, Pete Alonzo, would counter that by saying, well, there's a ton of traffic out there at least. This team is just one big hit away from turning it around. And you know what? There may be some truth to that. I mean, really. When the Mets get three or more hits with runners in scoring position, they're 29-3. and 29-3. Three. Three. That's good for the second highest win percentage in the game when that happens. Yeah, you heard that correctly. So let's see if the Mets can carry their momentum from L.A. to Queens and shock starting pitcher Sammy Long and the Giants, the Giants owning the best team record in the league. Might I add, if the Mets are going to steal one, air quotes there, steal one from San Francisco, later today, Tuesday, would be the day. Long has a 5.72 ERA in his 28 and one-thirds inning pitch. And he's got a negative .3 war, if you believe in something like that. So anyway, the key to victory for the Mets, it's going to be jump out to a fast lead. They are 45-17 and 17 when they score first. And they are actually a resilient bunch. I point to August 10th against the Nationals. The Mets erased a pair of three-run deficits to win the game. And what about what you saw in that last game versus the Dodgers? Well, one, in the first inning, Brandon Nemo worked a walk. Then on the Baez hit to left field, he made a beautiful read on that ball, and he scored from first base for the first run of the game. Something that that's not really talked about. And two, in that same inning, Jonathan VR forced an errant throw to second base. And, I mean, the ball was only like five feet behind the bag. He got up, beat the throw to third, and took that base too. And then three, third. A lot of people are pointing to Javier Baez's hustle double late in the game. But in my notes, I wrote down, would have been out if Trey Turner, who's a shortstop, not a second baseman, was in the right position to receive that throw at the bag rather than four feet away from it. But sure, give it to Baez, I guess. Unfortunately, though, that hustle in that game on that West Coast trip, that was the exception to the rule. So the Mets have the 16th toughest schedule remaining. They're middle of the pack. I mean, of their 37 uh, 37 remaining games, 23 of them are against NL East opponents which, if you like it this way, that's 62% of their schedule is against NL East opponents. I'm not going ahead, and, and I know I'm wearing a Joe Namath jersey tonight, but I'm not guaranteeing that this team is, is, is going to make the playoffs. But what I am saying is this team is not going to go down without a fight. And miraculously, there's actually still a little time for them to figure it out. Well, apparently, according to Adam Schefter, Sunday afternoon, the Jets, like Beyonce, seem to want to hit the upgrade button. He tweeted, after losing Carl Lawson to a season-ending torn Achilles, the Jets are now looking for ways to acquire a pass rusher to help fill the void, per sources. That's my favorite, per sources. A trade before the season is being explored. That's per Adam Schefter. I'm okay with this move if Joe Douglas executed correctly. Listen, as I told you on Saturday, one of the three things I was looking for in preseason game number two for the Jets was how they were going to game plan 
and scheme to air quotes here, replace Carl Lawson's presence on that defensive line. By all accounts, he had been the Jets' most electric player at camp consistently. So what a huge blow to the Jets his season-ending injury is. But how do they replace him? The simple answer is that they can't, and it showed up big time on Saturday. I mean, the Jets registered only one sack on a Green Bay quarterback, and that was by backup safety, TJ Hassel. So, okay, you say, okay, sacks are one thing. What about quarterback hits? Well, the Jets registered just one against the Packers. And backup defensive lineman Bryce Huff did the damage. That's not great. We also talked on Saturday about the options that the Jets have moving forward and what they should do to fill the now clear and obvious void. I told you that no free agent currently out there really jumped off the page at me. I thought that the Jets would would go with players that are already on their roster based on the success that Robert Sala had with the, the stud 49ers that he lost to injury. Bosa, Thomas, Sherman. Yet he still finished fifth in total defense and fourth in passing defense with those 49ers. I thought that the Jets would not make any big-time trades since, let's be honest, them making the playoffs would be a pleasant surprise. But that Green Bay game? Yikes. So, if Joe Douglas can execute his trade deal correctly, I'd be in. So what do I mean by that? Well, Listen, Carl Lawson is under contract for at least another year after this one because he's got a potential out after the 2023 season. But if I'm the Jets, I'm not looking for a rental player. They are not good enough to make the playoffs anyway this season. So why waste the draft capital on a player that won't be around long? Unless, of course, a longer-term deal could be reworked immediately. So instead of trying to replace Carl Lawson for this 2021 season— Why not get a young enough guy with a ton of upside to play alongside Lawson in the years to come? Upgrade you, remember? Think most recently, Mohamed Wilkerson, Sheldon Richardson, and Leonard Williams. How about Carl Lawson, Quinnen Williams, and... Well, that's the thing. Who are the options? Well, I can tell you that one name officially came off the board Monday afternoon. Four-time Pro Bowler Everson Griffin, he signed again with the Minnesota Vikings. So Jets fans, I've got a list of my trade suggestions and players on my do-not-want list as well for you coming up a little later in the show. Spoiler alert, I'm not feeling any available free agents. You just don't get it. So, listen, I like Joe Judge, but I just don't get it. I mean, he's got a great scouting eye. He's an excellent fundamentals coach with an old-school mentality. And he will coach here in New York for a long time to come. But I just don't get it. I cannot, for the life of me, fathom why Daniel Jones is still, was still, holding a clipboard on the sidelines of the first two preseason game days. I just don't get it. But I do get that he's getting work in during the joint practices. But there is no substitution for as close to game day as you're going to get while still being in the preseason. I mean, even Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady have played in a few series. 
Tom Brady is still working out in a preseason game scenario. The guy is entering his 22nd, 22 season of NFL football. Daniel Jones just turned 24 years old in May. So Tom Brady has been a quarterback, starting quarterback in the NFL for literally almost as long as Daniel Jones has been alive. And yet, he's still out there making plays in the preseason. Think about it. The regular season is one week longer this year than it has ever been. And the Giants' bye week doesn't come until week 10. When we we will, all of the rest of us will be starting to gather our Thanksgiving Day fixings. That sounds like a long time away. The Giants have a quarterback in Daniel Jones who is entering just his third NFL season in a pivotal year for the franchise that is locked and loaded to try to make a run. And if you don't believe me, look at their salary cap situation. The Giants are in the second to worst salary cap situation in the league, second only to the reigning Super Bowl champion Buccaneers. Not to mention that this is Daniel Jones. It's only his second season in Jason Garrett's offense. And by the way, in case you forgot, last year's program was conducted mostly virtually. So I'll ask again, why on earth has the starting quarterback for the New York football Giants taken exactly zero snaps in a game-like atmosphere? In a stadium, in front of fans, and on TV? Listen, I know that the A-team around him hasn't been getting any, you know, a lot of work either, but even if he gets a series or two against the Patriots this upcoming weekend, he'll have missed 66% of game speed reps, you know, game-wise, two out of three games, where he could be working on himself. Who cares what's going on around him? His footwork, his timing, his pocket presence, mental clock, his line of scrimmage reads all having to do with really just him. Now, I know that Joe Judge said on Monday, he said, my expectation at this point would be for Daniel Jones to play at least the first half and then decide what we do coming out of halftime later in the week. But this just reeks of this team having to play catch-up early in the season, and quite honestly, there isn't much time to do it. The Giants open against the Broncos, but then have to travel to Washington for an NFC showdown on the nationally televised Thursday Night Football. Those are two very quick games, and I tell you right now, the last thing that I want to hear early in the season out of anyone wearing New York Giants blue, from the ball kids all the way up through the ownership, are excuses like this. We're getting a feel for our offense and for each other. We're working on our timing. We're building chemistry. You get what I'm trying to say. This team better come out firing on all cylinders from the jump. I've labeled this season for the Giants as one of no excuses. And this just sounds like it's a big one, ready to rear its ugly head. Again, this is just one of those things where I hope I'm wrong. So we're going to have to wait and see. And let's get it going here tonight. I have set the table for you guys with a menu of New York sports to pick from. I can't wait to talk with you guys. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan after midnight on the fan in New York City. Welcome back to McCartan in the morning after midnight, whatever you want to call it, here on the fan in New York City. Yeah, 
You know, if you're a Yankee fan, here's an update for you. You've got two notable Yankees making rehab starts later today, Tuesday for the AA Somerset Patriots. you got Corey Kluber on the bump and Gio Urshela probably at third base is my guess. So let's take Kluber first, and then we'll get to your calls momentarily. 877-337-6666. Kluber's last outing with the Rail Riders, three runs in three innings on only 56 pitches. Um, Aaron Boone said that what he's seen from him was encouraging was the word he used. But according to my notes, he's given up a ton of runs in these rehab starts against minor leaguers. So Tuesday... He's expected to have an increased workload. Probably, my guess, would be four innings of work. So we'll see what he does this time out. And we can talk about it this time tomorrow night because I'll be back. And then Gio Urshela, he had a great night, conversely, (laughs) in his first rehab appearance. uh, That was uh, Sunday night, two nights ago. He was three for four with a double and two runs scored. So Aaron Boone said, if everything goes well with that, we could see him in Oakland. And I pulled out my calendar. That means this Thursday. So what will be the corresponding roster move for his activation? Well, Boone was asked about that before last night's game, Monday night's game, and he was just completely non-committal. He said, that's always something that's kind of fluid and day-to-day. There's that word, fluid. Hmm. All right, 877-337-6666. Kevin and Camden, you are our leadoff caller of the night. What's up, Coach? How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Well, I'm talking about the Yankee game because you know, I want to start this, you know I'm not a fan of Stanton, and you know, especially with Sanchez. <laughs> yeah, well. But I, I got I got it. I'm going to eat some crow because you know what? They were the big components tonight, and I got to give them their due. Without I, I the, really, listen, Kevin. Without them, the Yankees would have lost one nothing. Seriously, yep, yep. no, I know you're right. You're <laughs> Crazy, right. you're you're right. And I also think that you were talking. You were just talking about who would the who would the Yankees get rid of for Shella. Mm. I would find a way to keep Velasquez. Yeah, me too. For, for me, I'm sorry. The way this kid plays, I'm sorry. He's becoming one of my favorite guys. I know he just got on team, but he's got energy. He's a New York guy. You know, the Bronx, and he's Puerto Rican. So, you know, hey, I got a little, you know, bias to there. But I, it, <laughs> I, know, I, know. Is, I mean, this kid is awesome. I know. I mean, he runs. He plays defense. He plays with fire. He plays with passion. He's a very likable player for the Yankees. That's for sure. Absolutely. And I and I also feel that the Yankees, they got a chance to do something now. I mean, I haven't seen the Yankees win 10 in a row. I don't even remember the last time they did. Oh, it was uh, September of 2020. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's wow. – It's been a year. It's yeah, but I'm, I I really feel that they can make a run. I really feel like I I agree with you. What you said last week, I think they're gonna make the postseason. I really I this team with Rizzo and Gallo, and the and the way that they're athletic, they steal bases. They, I mean, they're just a whole different team. And you know what? I'm actually enjoying it. You know what? It's the, it's the opposite think... of the it's the opposite of the mess right now. Uh, yeah, well, that's the thing. I'll but... get into that tomorrow. <laughs> so the Yankees but... are uh, are they are what uh, in the let's see the wild card they are. Two and a half games up on the Red Sox, so they are making. If the season ended today, the Yankees would be making the playoffs as a wild or postseason as a wild card team. Right now, they are only four games behind the Rays. You think they could win the East? I I think yes. I think so too. And I got to say this with John Carlo playing the outfield a little bit, it gives him a little bit of flexibility with DH. Finally, right? But I'm thinking, you know, finally you make some use out of that contract, right? 
it's making me happy with that. But, you know, we'll see what happens. But I'm loving this ride so far, so I'm going to ride with it. <laughs> well, so, Kevin, hang on. It, it could be, it could get bumpy. We'll see what I'm happens. I'm excited, though. I'm excited. You know me. Yeah, I'm, I know. I'm excited. And tomorrow, I'll, be, I'll call him about the Mets. All right. Tomorrow night, Mets, you got it, Kevin. Thanks for the call there. All right, Coach. Thanks for, the, thanks for taking it. Uh, so, the question that we asked the other day was, the, can the Yankees really make a run? Can they win the East? I mean... Maybe. They're only four games back on the race. And Alex Cora of the Red Sox told you that, the first of all, the Red Sox have owned the Yankees this entire season except for that most recent series. And Alex Cora, the manager of the Red Sox, told you that this Yankees team is not the same team that they beat up on on the first half of the season. So I'm dying to know what Kevin Cash and the Rays are going to have to say about that once, you know, once it's all said and done. I mean, the Yankees don't play the Rays, I don't think, until the last uh, series of the entire year. So that's some high-stakes baseball for you. You might want to get your tickets now. That could be for the East, for all the marbles in the East. I think the Yankees can win the East. I'm telling you. And, and <laughs> I know I wanted to blow it up at the trade deadline, but... This team is completely different. It's just their offensive metrics. I told Garrett Cole this. Ten of their offensive metrics don't. They're they're basically the same that I looked at. The biggest deal is on the base paths. They are stealing way more bases already in this second half that they that they did in the first half. And not to mention the first to thirds. Joey Gallo today went, or, or Monday night went, went first to home. I mean, that's the hustle that the Yankees were missing. Justin in Deer Park, you're up next on the fan. Yes, Daniel, they do play Yankees, do play Tampa at the end of the year. I'm looking at my schedule right now. And that's the only series, right? Just that last, that last yeah, weekend, Yeah, right? the rest of it is just a lot of division. They have the Orioles from the third to the fifth. They have a four game from sixth to the ninth. Toronto, then after the, the double the makeup, the Twins, three against the Orioles, then that weekend in Fenway, then that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. so, yeah, Justin, so basically it's all culminating in this, this series at the end yeah. of the season with... The, with yeah, the, and then they, have, then they go to Toronto before they end up home of Tampa. Right, and that's it, and it's a all home right. series, so good for them. Yeah, happy they will be back playing in Toronto. Like, I always love watching games with the Yankees in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So for this is my main point. Zach Brennan, injuries like this. As you know, my dad is a doctor, podiatry, but he knows a lot of things. Um, I'm not... And these are, this is what my dad says. Part of what my dad says. Can I read it? Go fair. It's totally appropriate. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. And this is I'm about Zach Britton, right? All right, this is about Zach Britton, right? Oh, um, no. I, yeah, because hamstrings in a pitcher causes the person to alter their mechanics, even slightly, which right. causes an arm injury. This has happened to, like, Doc Gooden, Pedro Schilling. They all had foot and ankle and ended up with bad arm. Mm. And all this is the key, Danielle. The starts with foot and ankle always end up with like a knee calf or hamstring injury and showing the bloody sock. What started with it with the tendon was 
the surgery the doctor said that was done never was done. So they ended up firing the doctor. Because huh. it was a tendon. What was causing the blood stuff? It was because of um, the, the stitches ruptured. Right. And it was the blood was the tendon. I emailed you an article from 2005 from the LA Times. So we get a chance to read it. So yeah, this is what these injuries all cause. Unfortunately, too, and I wouldn't be surprised if the previous injury before the hamstring may have caused the hamstring that may have caused this injury. Hmm. Well, Justin, that is um, that is quite a um a, a a trail of of potential injuries that could have led to the hamstring. You know what, though, um, the the latest injury though is is an arm injury. So, actually. If if what I feel in like my heart of hearts when I when that news came across, I mean I felt like it was overdue. Not because his arm is injured; it could be. I mean, it could very well be injured. But I mean, the guy needs a mental break away from the game. That's what he needs. So he'll refresh. He'll come back. But I I think this this stint to the IL, which is retroactive to the twentieth, so four days ago. But I just think it's more mental than anything. Because he has been imploding, honestly. I mean, he's telling you he pitches like curse word that starts with an S. He's said that to you and all other things like that. So um, I'm not convinced it's it's an arm issue. Let's just put it that way. I'm not a doctor, but I'm not convinced it's an arm issue. Tom in North Brunswick, you're up next on The Fan. Well, hello, Daniel. How are you? How, good morning. <laughs> how you doing? <laughs> how are you, Tom? Well. Yes, I'm doing good. good. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, real quick, uh, tonight I watched the Diamondbacks Pirates game on MLB. That's how much I didn't want to watch the Yankee Brave. <laughs> what? Come on. <laughs> well, you know, uh, real quick, um, you know, this, this idea that the Braves aren't a good team. Did you see all the the infield? The, uh, the you know, the, the almost they all have almost like they're going to get a hundred runs batted in. I mean, uh, you know, Albie says 88 runs batted in a second baseman. Uh, they, what I'm trying to say is the Atlanta infield is much better than the Mets and the Yankees. So they're not a, like this little team that can't hit. So, and right. that's what, that's why. But, huh? the, but I said, right, but the Yankees, I mean, especially in Loisia, silenced the bats. Oh, yeah, and I know that. Yeah, and I wasn't, I'm not, you know, I'm just saying that the, the Braves, uh, you know, and they got a young team, uh, Riley has 76 RBIs mm-hmm. and, High batting averages and great defense. They got a really, I know they, they've had struggled this year, but I'm not surprised it's happening. But you know what? Real quick, um, you know, this, uh, the Mets, it's disappointing, but uh, there's a little window here. A little bit. And not only the, you know, after the San Francisco series, but I'm looking at the Braves schedule and I know that the Braves are good and they can beat after they play the Yankees, they play the Dodgers, the Giants. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they, uh, now don't laugh at me. They go to Colorado for four games, right? The Colorado Rockies are 43 and 22 at home. Yeah. So, I mean, they're like 40 and I'm not saying they're a good team, but they're, they're better at home. So they're a little bit of a wild card. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not, I don't want, you know, I'm not saying that the Braves probably crush them, but you know, at least there's, so they they have a tough schedule. They're a better team than the Mets. I wouldn't be surprised. They won't be tortures. That's a brave struggle. 
and the Mets uh, sweep the Giants and then lose 13 in a row to the Marlins and the Nationals. Wow, that, wouldn't that be so Metsian? Sweep <laughs> the Giants. I'm trying to think of the worst thing that's possible. <laughs> I know. Sweep the Giants and then lose to the, the lowly teams in the yeah. NL East. Yeah, I like mean... go 0-13 against them. But, but, you know. and, yeah. and real quick uh, on Baez, you know, people are saying he strikes out all the time. I was looking at his stats. At least, uh, you know, it was a few years ago he led the National League in runs bad and it went 111. He hit 290. So if you hit 290, yeah, I know he had a years tough ago, year. Though. Come on. Yeah, no, I'm just saying, but Joey Gallo, you know, I mean, they're making it sound like he's Ted Williams. Yeah, you know, but, he hit 206. But, so the difference with Joey Gallo, and that's a good comparison. There's the difference with Tom, good, good comparison there. The di- difference between Joey Gallo and Javier Baez, um, Javier Baez, the last I checked, um, when the trade occurred, strikes out more than Joey Gallo does. Fact. Okay. But the problem is that Baez is expected to be the guy on the Mets. The guy. Whereas Joey Gallo, there's not a lot of pressure on him to be the guy. I mean, when I talked to him, he was like, oh, listen, I'm I'm just trying to keep my head down and just blend in with other guys like Judge and Stanton and, and Rizzo. Like, he's just trying to blend in. He's not expected to be the guy who carries it. So when you're the guy that is expected to carry the team and you strike out like 36% of the time you're up at the bat, up at bat. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. So he was not the right player for the Mets. In fact, the right player, I'll say it again. I'll say it before the trade deadline, you know, tell him blue in the face. Chris Bryant was the guy for the Mets and they just swung and missed on that. And then you got the owner calling out these guys that, that can't hit the ball and blah, blah, blah. Well, you, you just acquired one of the guys that... that is the most notorious for not hitting the ball. You you can't you can't have it both ways. And I was looking at I was trying to look up really quickly uh, the number of strikeouts. Right, Joey Gallo leads the league in strikeouts, 168. But when you look down just a little bit, you got Javier Baez at five with 146. Which which players' strikeouts have more of an impact on their team? Baez. Again, because he's expected to be the guy, whereas Joey Gallo is just not. And Yankee fans, do you remember when you and I were talking about Giancarlo Stanton and why he rarely saw the field as a Yankee outfielder? Do you remember when you and I were trying to figure out if he's a better hitter as a DH versus as an outfielder slash hitter? I think we've got a big enough sample size to make a decision on that coming right up. Turn this up, everybody. Welcome back to McCartan After Midnight here on The Fan in New York City. Listen, John Carlos Stanton, the biggest lightning rod, well, maybe, besides uh, Gary Sanchez, came through in a big spot. Monday night's game, huge spot. Drove in three of the Yankees' five runs. Sanchez had the other two. So, listen, in 2019... Stanton played exactly 95 innings in the outfield for the Yankees. In 2020, he didn't take an outfield spot one single time defensively. So you and I, we wondered aloud if he would be a more effective hitter if he has that regular time in a defensive outfield position. I ventured to guess yes, But I also said that in my experience, both as a coach and as a player, 
it really is highly, it's a highly individualized like nuance of the game. Whether you're a better hitter if you play in the field while you hit or if you're just a hitter. Well, I think we've got a big enough sample size. John Carlos Stan has taken the outfield with regularity for the Yankees this season since I think his first day out there was July 30th. I think we can look at these numbers. And his numbers, in short, are great as an outfielder hitter going into play on Monday night. I mean, since that July 30th game, and not including last night's game, because baseball reference didn't update, and MLB.com, you can't separate it out by you know game logs. But going into play Monday night, Stanton has a 301 batting average, four home runs, 15 RBIs, and an on-base plus and slugging percentage of... Nine four one. You know who's happiest about these numbers? Luke Voigt. <laughs> As we said a long time ago here on this show, his playing time is directly correlated with John Carlos Stanton's ability to play the field and to stop clogging up that DH spot. And Stanton knows it too. He said a while back, that's where me being in the outfield comes into play. And by the way, I've been meaning to say this for a couple weeks and I always forget it. The name is pronounced John Carlo, like J-O-H-N, John Carlo, not Jean. That's not it. It's John, John Carlo, one word, okay? Just so everybody knows. It's an Italian name. When I do get to talk with him, I will ask him where, where that came from. I also hear, like, Giancarlo. No. It's not that either. No, it's not that either. John, John Carlo. Anyway, let's go back to the phones. 877-337-6666. John Carlo Stanton is on a roll and so are the Yankees, having won 10 straight and MLB best. Let's go to Floral Park. Paul, you're up on the fan. Hello. What's <laughs> up, Daniel? What's How up, are Paul? you? Good for bringing the oh, energy. Yeah. I love that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, t- I think we have our uh, future shortstop right before our eyes. With the uh, Velasquez, uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I see it that way. You're getting rid of uh, yeah. your trading Glaber Torres? No, no, no. Uh, Gio Urshela. You're trading Urshela. Okay, and then who's playing third next year then? Uh, maybe DJ LeMayu. Okay. That's what I was thinking. Potentially, yes. Yeah. So you can have what? You want Rizzo back at first? Rizzo, do you, first? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so yeah. I guess Rizzo, then Glaber, then Velasquez, and then uh, LeMayu. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Not bad. Could. Right, you know, we'll see, we'll see. I don't I mean, know, but somebody's. I know, but I, I would, I would trade Torres before I would trade Urshela, though. Okay, okay, okay. Sounds sounds right to me. All right, all right. Yeah, but, uh, but they I, have uh, options, otherwise, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're looking good. Otherwise, I like this streak. Yeah, yeah. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, right? Um. Yeah. I'm ready to go for uh, football. I'll I'll check in on the uh, Chet's uh, preseason finale, but no. Otherwise, I'm ready to go. Well, the preseason is so boring, but but yeah. <laughs> I looked at uh, the Giants uh, the other day. Uh, what was it uh, yesterday? Yeah, I looked at it real quick, but it was. I know. Yeah. There's nothing yeah. to see there, you know. So did I. I yeah. had it on for like a little bit, and then it kind yeah. of faded into the yeah. background. There's not a lot to see yeah. and dissect with these no. Giants. Yeah. Yeah, it's disappointing, yeah. really. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. With the, uh, the Baltimore Orioles, with this losing streak, you have to go all the way back to 1988. 
Uh, they started the season two and twenty three. Wow! Why? Yeah, why you were uh, still uh, still a god's uh, back pocket <laughs> before you came in? Yeah, yeah and, and Baltimore. I just looked it up. There, they've got an eighteen game losing streak yeah. going on. Yeah, cool. yeah, they were two and twenty three at the start of that nineteen eighty eight. Oh boy, God! <laughs> wow! Thank you, Danielle. All right, <laughs> thanks Good for to hear from you. All right, we'll talk to you tomorrow night. All right, tomorrow All right. night, same time. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, bye. All right. Yeah, you know, that's one thing I did want to talk about more so tomorrow. The fact, you know, these these preseason games, especially if you're a Giant fan, I mean, just brutal. I mean, and that ties in directly with these joint practices that they're having where it seems like or we're told that they're getting more of their work, you know, workload, I should say, at these joint practices rather than in a stadium in front of people on quote unquote game day. Um, in short, and I want to talk more about this tomorrow, but in, in more detail from a bunch of different perspectives. Um, in short, I'm really not a fan of these joint practices. Got to tell you, let's go. Ben in Queens. You're up next on the fan. Morning coach. Hey Ben. Hey, simply put that's that you had right there. Which one? Just uh, with, uh, John Carlo. Yeah. Just knock that like, Hammer that with nails on on the doors of Cashman and on Boone's door, and say, "Look at this! Have him play the field. Right. Get the." <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, the, listen. The last two weeks, we've talked about this extensively, but it's something I saw today with not the home run, but the 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 single slash of the double. He checked down. He didn't just swing. He actually checked down on that pitch. Mm-hmm. He switched. If you look at the pitch again and look at look at how he swung, he didn't go his usual stance on that. He actually made contact. I looked at that and I was like, okay, he's making contact. Is it because the Little League World Series is going on? He doesn't want to show a he doesn't want to be a, a bad influence, is it? And then you just came up with that stat, and I was like, "Aha! Playing the field has its advantages." Has to, and and, yeah. and, and it, you know what? It really is dependent upon you know player to player, right? But for him, it's working. And I, my question is then to to Yankees management and front office: Why didn't it happen sooner? Because they were, because they thought he was too fragile. Well, I know. <laughs> they, but, they, I mean, they treated come on. him. They treated him. They actually, it was coaching bubble wrap, or 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 numbers bubble wrap, or whatever. However, we're going to phrase this. Mm-hmm. Like like they they were like, listen, he's gotten hurt every which way. Playing the field a little bit loosened him up. Yeah, I was I was just about to say that too. Yep, and the yoga that he was doing in the preseason. But <laughs> yeah, you're right. Okay, and for for the Jets. Mm-hmm. I've I've heard fans that they're going crazy, going giddy with the quarterback, and I'm just like, could we slow our rolls here? Just slow down. He he looks good. He looks good. He does. But Sam Darnold looked good too. Mm. So so that's that's the only caution I have. Okay, it it's oh, it's going to be 17 games to watch this kid. Yes. But let's just slow down. I look. I know 
with this season, it's go, it's good, infinitely better than last season. It's because I kind of like how the offense looks. I'm seeing varied formations yeah. and stuff like this, I and too. I know it ain't even the full playbook yet. Right, and they're so, getting and they're utilizing the tight end for the first time in how long, Ben? You know, I've been saying it for how long? Just, just stretch that middle out. Get that linebacker from sitting in there reading the quarterback's yes. eyes. Force yes. him to chase a, a tight end. Novel concept. The concept has only been around since football began, and it seemed to have been lost on the Jets for the past couple of years. Exactly. <laughs> and f- final thing for the night, I've tracked something down for you. What's that? In a, in a couple of weeks, hopefully I'll receive it and I will send the package to the stadium Ooh. or to the station for you. Ooh, I'm, I'm, I don't like, so I'd like to know things. Can you give me a hint? We talked about it a couple of shows past uh, that I missed it on my phone call talking to you about it. But I tracked one down from a... Uh, a reputable uh, site, and uh, one will be on your way. Mm, well, I'm curious, Ben. I can't wait for it to come. All right. So, so congratulations on the, the new timing. Everybody now on the overnight. The folks now who listen to the overnight know me from from, from my calls to Tony Page. And when I say the coach has got the goods, the coach has got the goods. Okay? come Come with your best. But if you come disrespectful, she was not going to hesitate to cut you and leave you by the wayside. <laughs> That's Daniel, right. enjoy your night. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Thanks for the little props there. Oh, yeah. You know what? I feel like we have a really good rapport on this show. Like, I really do. I, you know, I give you guys the time to talk, to make your points. We don't argue about personal things. We argue about things but sports. I mean, Saturday, we got into an argument about Gary Sanchez. Somebody said he's a top five catcher in the league. He's not. But we had a nice argument about that. Cool. I like it. Let's get Jack in Deal, New Jersey up on the fan. You're up. Hey, what, hey what's going on? Uh, big, big fan of the radio show. Well, thank uh, you. Uh, big, I'm sorry, big fan of the radio station. I've actually never heard, I've heard you before, but I, uh, I'm listening to you now on the way home, and I have to say I'm liking what I'm hearing. You're very, very spot on. I love the point you made with Baez, how – much different that he's on the Mets. He's like the focal point right. versus Gallo just coming in and him just no pressure and he's just, you know, uh, taking his at bat, taking his walks and just moving along the line. So great point there. I totally yes. agree. Even though he um, leads the league in strikeouts, but yes. Yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty uh, insane because he seems like such a, he's been a con. I feel like he's just put, he's been putting the ball in play and just drawing walks and swinging at strikes. So it's shocking, but. I think I think you'll see those numbers go down, but um, I just want to make a couple of points. One, Cashman, really an unbelievable job. What he's done, um, I don't I don't think he gets enough credit. I think he, you know, these two moves. We've been looking for a, a lefty power hitter for all this time, and yet he just got two of them in a day. I mean, he added two of them, and one of them I think in Gallo. I think is going to be a Yankee for a very long time. He's a great player, great defender. And Rizzo's a championship first baseman. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I just think, you know, I think he really deserves a, a lot of credit. I think he's done a great job with, the, with this move. And it's shown. It's shown 10 in a row, and, and uh, they're rolling. Man. They really are rolling. Yeah, I mean, they are clicking on all cylinders, Jack. And, and that's an interesting point there because me, I, I'll speak for myself only. I was killing Cashman. Up through the trade deadline, I was killing Cashman. Like, 
How do you not have a left-handed batter in this lineup? You know, starting pitching has, has collapsed, basically. And then you look what he did, right? And also, too, the players, and Garrett Cole said it to me the other day, the players are starting to play base, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, but the players are starting to play um, based on what, I guess, the back of the baseball card says, finally. They're, they're, they're playing up to their expectations, kind of, sort of. So, um, yes, he you, you made a great point. He, he needed a left-handed power bat, and he got two in, in literally, like, the same day, which is great. They all, I saw some interview somewhere that Brian Cashman actually said that he tried getting Gallo in the offseason and it just didn't work out. See, Gallo by himself, I said this too, Gallo by himself wouldn't have been the move. But because he coupled Gallo with Rizzo, that was the move. And then you, th- you think about these guys that came up and started, I mean, starting with like what? Greg Allen, the Greg Allens of the world. The Andrew Velasquez's of the world. They came up, they were hungry, they were energetic, and they were stealing bases, and it, the complexion of the team changed, I think, the day that Greg Allen was brought up. Now, yes, the Yankees are clicking on all cylinders. Yes, you got to give Cashman some credit. Yes, yes. But the one thing that still would scare me if I were a Yankee fan, I mean, the hitting's been great. The starting pitching has been surprisingly one of the best in baseball. The one thing, closing, it doesn't seem like the Yankees can slam the door shut. I mean, John, uh, uh, Aroldis Chapman was up warming up uh, Monday night's game. I was like, oh boy, here we go. I was like waiting to hit print on all the stuff that I came up with for tonight just in case he didn't come through. So, welcome back to McCart in the morning here on the fan. That's good song. Yeah, this is the the DJs down the shore clap. Get some napkins going in the air here. Bad habits. You know, speaking of bad habits, this is a good little transition here because I I was I was really struck by something when I'm watching the Yankee game, Yankees Braves Monday night game. It was I took a picture of the TV, the top of the ninth. Yankees are up five one, right? Brett Gardner is at bat. Brett Gardner. Okay, it's a, it's a o one count. That's when they showed this this particular view. They have like the. I want to call it like the, the the broadcaster booth view, you know, like from home plate above a little bit. And they're showing you the defensive alignment. You've got Swanson. Let me make this a little bit bigger. you got Swanson, the shortstop, as the only fielder, the only fielder on the left side of the entire field. And you got Albies, Riley, and Freeman, three fielders, on the right side. And yet, I tweeted... Brett Gardner swung away like a maniac, like an absolute maniac, and struck out for the second time in two at-bats. I, I just don't under... I, I, maybe I'm too old school. I don't really know. I just don't understand how a player can't just drop down a bunt in that situation, and a guy like Brett Gardner still has some some speed. 
I just don't understand. I mean, there's nobody within, I don't know, 60 feet, 90 feet to field that ball. Come on, man. But I did happen to notice, actually, that Andrew Velasquez tried it. He tried to drop down a bunt in the seventh inning. Just, it was like a surprise kind of thing. He, the, the third baseman was playing back, tried to drop one down, ended up being fouled. But good try. Everybody keeping the defense on their toes. What do you guys want to get aboard? 877-337-6666. I mean, it's just the art of playing baseball. Like, playing the game of baseball. I know we talk about it often, but, I mean, it's just it's on display. Like, every single game that you watch, it seems to be on display. And when I saw that view, that overhead view, of Brett Gardner swinging away like a maniac. Meanwhile, there's one fielder on the entire left-hand side of the, the infield. I don't know. And the only reason why um, Gary Sanchez was able to come through was because he he poked one through the the shift. I mean, it just cleared the fielder's glove. I mean, it's still a hit. It goes down in the box score as a hit, clearly still, but... He was able to beat the shift somehow. I don't know. But it was a two RBI single, and it put the Yankees. I mean, that was it. That was the nail on the coffin. That was, we played the turning point in the game on the, on the Saturday shift. And I was wrong, but I don't know. I, I still think I was right when I said uh, Aaron Judge's home run, two-run home run, was the turning point in the game early on in the game. I was wrong, but it's okay. But I think we can all agree that Gary Sanchez's two-run, two-RBI Single was the turning point of the game for these Yankees. Monday night, anyway. That was it. The game was over at that point. But then, wait a second, hold up. You've got our oldest Chapman warming in the bullpen. I'm like, mm, let's see how this experiment goes. And he was fine. Can't say I didn't get it nervous, though. And, um, you know, I, I put a, I, you guys, it's crazy that you guys are so into what t-shirt or jersey that I wear to, to the show every you know every night because I, I I felt like wearing a jersey this this week and I put up I I wanted to do like a throwback jersey so I, it was a choice between and I put a poll up on Twitter at coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, put up should I wear the green Namath jersey or the retro Derek Jeter batting practice jersey you guys know I'm a huge fan of jerseys. Although I'm not going out and buying a Zach Wilson one just yet. But um is it so it was it Namath or Jeter? The poll won Namath. So that is what I'm wearing. Green Joe Namath throwback. But people were arguing with each other in the comments for the first time ever of which jersey is cooler to wear. I mean, that's new levels. That's new heights. And I know Nick was watching what was going on, and he you texted me and you said what? I texted you and I said, "Listen, if you if Yankees if the Jeter jersey wins, I'll come in with my Yankee jersey." And I'm the only one wearing Yankee jersey. <laughs> so either way, you were going to wear it. Either way. I mean, how cool is it? I was thinking about this when I was driving in before. How cool is it that we get to wear like jerseys to work? I think it's really cool for the first time. I can wear a hat to work. I wasn't able to wear a hat in my last job. Yeah. Because apparently it was uncool. 
Non professional. I thought about that too because I was watching Garrett Cole give a press conference and like the light was in his eyes and it was like you couldn't really see his eyes. And I was like, oh wow, wearing a hat indoors. Like you can't do that in schools and stuff. I can't wait till winter rolls around it's hockey season. When you come in a full goalie pads and stuff? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to channel my inner uh, Henrik Lundqvist and come in. Yeah. Yeah, the king. Hung him up. It was brought, a good ride. a tear to my eye. Yeah, it did for me too a little bit. Because you think about like classic New York athletes, right? You, I mean, guys that played their entire careers with New York teams. You, what do you got? Lundqvist, Manning, Jeter, mm-hmm. you know, recently. That's a pretty good company. Do you include uh, Carmelo in that? Mm, I don't. You don't? No, because he didn't start and end in the same place. Fair. Without, you know, having gone anywhere else in between. Maybe he might be a Nick. Who knows? But, yeah, no, I don't. That's fair. I wonder if Knicks fans do. Call in? Yeah. 877-337-6666 is the number to call in. But, I mean, the the argument that was going on in the comment section, I mean, come on. I just, you know, and I'm going through them right now. You know what I do? I, I like tweets just because so many come in that if I know it, that I liked it because I could see it, it's red. That I've seen it, you know what I mean? And um, I got another one here. I'm going through a couple great call, intelligent calls. Yeah, right? And Paul then tweeted me and said, John Carlo, he's the man. John Carlo seems to be the man. As of recent, anyway. He's on a tear. Since he's played in the field, he's batting 301, four home runs, and, and it's just he's on a tear. And on TV, they're showing the Joey Gallo Diving grab in the outfield that had a 35% chance of being caught. And he's he's literally on his stomach sliding towards the foul line. And the runner did not advance. That's the Joey Gallo effect, you guys. Brett Gardner, even if he makes that catch, that runner's taking second base on him. I'm telling you that right now. Start paying attention, you guys. You'll see it. All right, back to the phones. 877-337-6666. Vernon in Manhattan. You're up on the fan, Vernon. Yeah, you're here, you're there, you're everywhere. (laughs) What's the schedule now? I am now, and I'm going to be on tomorrow the same time, 2 to 5. Okay. Then Friday morning, 2 to 6. Uh-huh. And then my regular time on uh, Saturday mornings, or I guess Sunday mornings, 2 to 6. Oh, okay. All right, so I, I, I just, every time I turn the radio on, you're there. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Get used to that. You know, Vernon, once I tasted that daytime on Saturday, though, oh, man, once you taste it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it also, um, you know, depending on the time schedule. Well, anyway, I'm here to talk about my New York Mets and what they're going through. What's your thoughts? You think they're going to make the playoffs? Um, as crazy as this sounds, I think yes. Uh-huh. I think yes. Okay. They're going to have to go up a big hill uh, for that. Well, because you think the Braves have the 12th hardest schedule upcoming, right? Right, right. And the one team that would worry me is the Phillies. They've got the easiest schedule coming up. Right. But – I don't know. I just think the Mets—they just have this fire in them that they don't give up. They they play hard, and they're going to be getting Noah Syndergaard back. I don't know. I just I don't know. It's I guess it's inexplicable, but I I do think the Mets end up sneaking in there one way or another. 
Well, the team they have to worry about right now that has been giving them a hard time is the uh, uh, Miami. Oh, uh, I know. I mean, they record is the worst, but every time the Mets play them, they just can't win. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, I haven't forgotten about the cards. I know I got your email from you of the second issue, so I'm not going to talk about that. Okay. But I'll have a chance for you to win these cards again. I'm oh. giving you a third shot. All right, let's do it. I'm so excited. <laughs> Come on. And the third shot is simply this. Oh, and I'm going to throw in an autographed card of the Green Bay Packers of Bart Starr. What? Yeah, I have three of the cards signed by him, a photo with him taking the uh, um, with the cards, so um, I'm going to release that card to you for your brother, since he's a Packer fan. So this wow. way, you can get your cards, and your brother can get his card, because the football season is about to start. And here's the easiest way you can win these cards. Baseball, football, hockey, basketball are a team sport. Everybody has to participate to win. For you to win these cards and a card for your brother, the Mets must make the playoff this year of 2021. If they make it, you get the cards. I like that. Vernon, I like (laughs) that. (laughs) Let's go, Mets. (laughs) (laughs) So, tick-tock, let's see what happens. September is coming up. And have a nice day. Awesome, Vernon. Thanks. I appreciate that. Bye. Wow, Bart Starr. Brother's going to love that. I can't wait to tell him. And I'm not going to wake him up now. He sleeps with Do Not Disturb on anyway. But So what do I get? If the Mets lose, do I get the cards? Oh, I don't know. That's not what he said. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and here's another thing, too. You know, you look at strength of schedule and all that, and a lot of scoreboard watching, right? There's something that, you know, everybody thought the San Diego Padres have, you know, I don't know, just, they were going to make the playoffs no matter what. And all of a sudden, they've been on this slip slide all the way down. Here we are, remaining schedule strength. The San Diego Padres have the most difficult stretch of schedule of all of the teams in baseball upcoming. And over their last 11 games, they've only won two of them. They've only won two of their last 11. And they lost to teams like Miami, Arizona Diamondbacks three times in a row. Got swept by the Colorado Rockies. I mean, I just double-checked. Am I really looking at the San Diego Padres? They lost to the the Phillies, two out of three. So, I mean, anything can happen, really. And I know I'm being like eternal optimist, Pete Alonzo. Maybe Mets fans are scoffing at their their radios right now. But you know what? Anything can happen. And, And San Diego Padres, I think they're catchable. And the Mets, they just... The thing is, they have to win the games versus the teams in the NL East. And, Vernon, you said it. They can't beat the Marlins. I mean, they've got a 333 winning percentage against the Marlins, I, I believe it is. That's uh, that's not good. <laughs> Put it that way. But when you look at, you know, everything that the Mets weigh in is going to be to win the division. They're, they're sitting seven games back in the wild card. And San Diego is falling out of the graces pretty quickly. So we'll see. But I'm I'm rooting for the Mets big time. If they can uh 
they can make the playoffs, they can make the postseason. I'm a winner, winner, chicken dinner. And so is my brother. Thanks to Vernon. So I think um, let's do this. We'll, we will do Tim Healy at 340. Okay. We'll do Tim Tim Healy. If you're a Met fan, that is a, a can't-miss interview. It was pre-recorded. Uh, I did it uh, around 1 o'clock, I think it was, 12 o'clock, uh, on, uh, on Monday afternoon. And you know what? I saw something in that Little League Classic game between the Indians and the Angels that I really didn't like, like really didn't like. And it's indicative of a larger issue for baseball. I'll explain what that means coming up next. Long neck, ice cold beer, never broke my heart. <laughs> so I, I tricked Luke you guys. Who? Luke Combs. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah. One of my students one time did this to me and said, who sings this song? Oh, Luke Combs. Keep it that way. I mean, it was perfectly timed. I know it's an old joke, but it was... Uh... That's that's a good old dad joke. <laughs> yeah, maybe that out loud. Uh, do you know how to sing Far, Far Away? What? When when you're singing, do you know how to sing Far, Far Away? Because that's another dad joke. I don't get it. Like, go away. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, can you sing it Far, Far Away? Yes. I get it. I get it. Uh-huh, real funny. Thank you. <laughs> I know. But, hey, listen, I have a very eclectic taste of music. I think you guys might know that by now, I think. I mean, my roommate from college, she walked in, and she was like, I never know what's going to be playing out of your computer. I mean, it could be. I mean, it's anything, really. So, Luke Combs, one of my faves. Oh, Carrie Underwood is back for Sunday Night Football. Or is it Thursday Night Football? Sunday. Waiting all day for Sunday Night. Sunday Night Football. She's back. She is my all-time favorite. Carrie Underwood is my all-time favorite of all-time favorites. Is country your top, though? Because I'll tell no, you this, it's not mine. I don't think so. It's at the bottom of the list for me. Oh, man. See, I got to get you into it. No, it's okay. <laughs> so there was one thing, and I, and I see you guys on hall. 877-337-6666 is the number. We've got Tim Healy coming up at 340, pre-recorded, of course, from uh, earlier Monday. But like many of you guys, Sunday night, I had on, it was just on while I was doing work for the show, the Little League Classic game between the Indians and the Angels. There's a lot to like about this game, including my personal favorite part, the graphic for the major league hitters when they're at bat that shows their favorite athletes, their favorite movies, their favorite genre of music and artists, etc. You know what I mean? Like, when you watch the Little League World Series, you know, favorite subject in school, all that. I like that. That's probably my favorite part, actually. But there's something that I noticed that I absolutely despised. My first question to you guys all is this. Why do they even do this Major League game to begin with? In short, the answer is to get the kids involved. In the game, more kids involved, more kids interested, drum up some interest, sign some autographs, things in that, right? Okay. All right. So it's 3 nothing Indians. A close enough game, right? It's not like it's like a blowout. And during the time between the end of the eighth inning and the beginning of the ninth inning, which I looked was 9.49 p.m., every single little leaguer began filing out of the stadium. Why? Because that's kind of late for a 10-year-old. There were empty bleachers in the shots where they showed the pitcher, you know, from the camera well. 
empty bleachers when they tracked the foul balls. There were empty seats when they showed the on-deck batter. I mean, there was an overhead shot in that ninth inning that showed the entire lower bowl from dugout to dugout absolutely empty. And again, I bring this up because it underscores the fact that baseball has a big problem. We'll talk about it again. These are the most invested kids that the game has. I mean, who's more invested in the game of baseball than the kids playing in the Little League World Series tournament? Yet, they're leaving before the nationally televised game is even over. A close game, even. All of them. With Shohei Otani. Mike Trout in the dugout. That's embarrassing for baseball. And by the way, I'm 33 years old. This hasn't changed. You know, I did not get to see guys or enough of guys like like John Franco or Mariano Rivera growing up for the same reason. They pitched too late. The games are on too late. It's just a shame, really. And it's such an easy fix. Start the games earlier. I looked. That game had a first pitch. The Indians um, Angels Sunday night had a first pitch of 7-11. Started at 6-11. Then all the kids can watch the game. All the kids can watch the game through the end. I just think that baseball, it's just they had a captive audience. They swung and missed on it. And it just underscores a bigger problem. That these kids are not as interested in the game of baseball anymore. And how could they be? They can't even stay up to watch the whole game. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just me yelling out the clouds. I don't know. Let's go back to the phones. 877-337-6666. We got Tim Healy coming up at, at 340. Joe in Roslyn, you're up next on the fan. Yeah, hi, Danielle. How how are you? I'm great. How are you? Okay. I just wanted to talk about the Atlanta Braves. You know, Swanson hit a home run against the Yankees last night. Mm-hmm. It's his twenty fifth home run. Yep. And you got Riley at third, he's got twenty seven. Freddie Freeman has 27 at first, and Duval has 27. Uh, and they have uh, the catcher is back that left the Mets. I think they're, you know, they're just going to keep winning. They're playing good ball now. They got everybody together, and uh, they could wind up hitting 30 home runs each the entire infield. I don't think that's ever happened. Did you? Did you? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a historian in that sense, but I, 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 I I'm sorry, I'm looking up something else, but I, I get it. I mean, they have the offensive firepower that can propel them, like the Yankees, right? right? As you just outlined yeah, through. absolutely. And I'm looking at pitching. I'm trying to find out the ERA, right? Because, that, listen, when you have such a firepower team like that, and yet, you know, you get beat by the Yankees, let's just say. I'm looking yeah. at ERA of pitchers, and it's got to be high for the, the – they can't be that good in pitching. Let me see. Let me do Braves. Atlanta Braves. Yeah, they're middle of the pack. They're 18th in the league. They've got the okay. 18th best ERA for pitchers. So, I don't know. But, well, they outscore their opponents. That's what it is. They well, score runs. You yeah, know? that's what wins you games, right? That's the Yankee model, isn't it? And, you know, Joey Gallo, uh, he leads Major League Baseball in walks. Oh, and walks, too. And walks, too. Yeah, he's got about 90 walks. Oh, yeah. And that's just so valuable, too. I mean, that that's a guy that's like, I, I, as much as, you know, it's contrary to say, but he's seeing the strike zone well. He's, he's, walk, he's generating the walks. Scoring yeah. from first base after a walk. I mean, that's what you need. Yeah. That's the formula. 
But I'm also trying to look up to, and, and Joe, good point there. I'm also trying to look up, Nick, maybe you can find this for me while I take the next call. The save, number of saves versus like save opportunities, like blown saves. Because that makes me think that, I just think if, if, the, if the Braves are such good hitters, which they are, and they're good defensively, right? Because they just upgraded their entire outfield. It makes me think of the pitching. Now we know, we've looked, that they have the, what, 18th best ERA in the league which is, you know, middle of the pack. And I'm wondering about blown saves. Like, how many games have they lost late? Okay, Nick's on that. So let's go to Eric in Ronkonkoma. You're up next on The Fan. Hey, Danielle. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Good, good. You know, you, you just uh, real quick before I get to the Jets, you know, you, you mentioned as far as the start time of the games. I mean, I think that's a universal problem with, with most of the sports just in general. I mean. You know, there's too many games overall that start late. Yep. You know, that's what drove me nuts about the, uh, you know, as much as I was completely invested in it, you know, with the, the hockey playoffs. I mean, it, you know, once you got past like the first round, everything started at eight o'clock. Yeah, I know. You know, and and for me who, you know, leaves the, the house to go to work, you know, at like just after 10 o'clock, you know, I'm missing the end of the game. You know, I know. so I mean, you know, you want you want a, a young kid who, uh, you know, to get I mean, because you know, the hockey playoffs are you know one of the best uh, you know type of thing to watch. You know, you, you're losing a, a whole audience right there as well. So I mean, it just it, it's, it's unfortunately it happens too many things. You know, I so, I, I, I agree because when I, I I think everybody knows that I'm a teacher during the week, and and during the week, if the Jets or the Giants are, are on Sunday night football, Monday night football, Thursday night football, I can't stay up and watch the rest of that game, and I'm an adult. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, yeah. Well, I mean, we're you know we're <laughs> I don't know about you, but I mean, I'm getting to the point where I, I I certainly can't. I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that I'm working overnight. I mean, I I don't know if I'd be able to stay up. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know, right. but that's yeah. But anyway, you know, look, uh, you know, you, you hear on the commercial during the breaks, you know, about uh, what what is it like nineteen nineteen days until uh, you know the first Jets game and everything, and I'm yeah. sitting there wondering how many uh, how <laughs> how many players are going to be healthy enough to start the game. <laughs> I know the way, they seem uh, to be dropping like going. flies. I mean, oh, oh, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I mean that uh, you know they lost another guy yesterday for a couple months. And the linebacker Davis. I yep. mean, uh, you know, I uh, I'm sitting there. And I'm like, oh boy, you know, I just hope. Uh, I, I tell you, I I was telling uh, who who was it? I don't know. Someone someone last week. I, I was mentioning how uh, they you know uh, Salah really has the, you know, in my opinion, the deck stacked against them. You know, uh, a little bit just because of you know what they've gone through between. Uh, you know the uh, the you know quarterbacks coach unfortunately passing away and and uh, uh, you know uh, you know now some of the injuries and everything and then uh, you know just the, the you know the way things have gone down with uh, I guess the the schedule you know the um, you know quarterback uh, you know showed up a little bit late right you know although contract. it seems like he's doing a little bit right mm-hmm. you know so. Uh, and, and you know, I, and and that leads me to my my question, just with football overall, because I know they they trimmed off a game yep. for the uh, for the preseason, and yet you know you, you're hearing a lot of really not many starters for for a lot of teams playing at all so far the first couple of games. Drives, you know, drives it, me nuts. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I understand that they don't put much stock in the preseason, but I mean, you got to have some kind of, you know, uh, repetition, you know, to get ready before the season starts. Yes. I mean, otherwise, uh, it's going to be a joke again for the beginning of the season. Yep. And that's precisely what I was saying about uh, Eric. Good call there. That's precisely what I was saying about the Giants and Daniel Jones. I mean, he hasn't taken a single snap in a preseason game. I know they're getting their work in on these joint practices, but nothing can rep- rep- replicate. You know, I know it's a preseason game, but it's still technically game day, right? Zero postseason snaps for Daniel Jones so far. Just to work on himself, like I said before, you know, reading defenses at the line, you know, footwork, timing, just the pocket presence of when to bail, things like that. Like, you can't replicate that at practice. I don't care. And it's just, I, I can't stand it. By the way, we got it for you. Nick got it for you. The Braves blow 63% of their saves. So 63% of the saves that, that um, the Braves attempt to make are saved. Only 63%. And and I, I found this on Fox Sports. It's tied for 15th in the league. They are tied for 15th in the league in blown saves. So the pitching seems to be like a weakness for them. So maybe that's, you know, it's like sort of like kind of the Yankee model, isn't it? Like, okay, let's slug our way and maybe the pitching will catch up. Maybe the pitching will be good enough. We'll see. But that that would be the weakness there. So if the Mets can exploit that, I mean, who knows? In that final series. Again, we've got Tim Healy coming up at 340. We've got Brian from Farmingville, New York, up next on the fan. Brian, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes, I got you. Go ahead. Uh, hey, Danielle. Hey. Hey. Uh, so, you know, the passion that we have for baseball, and it brought to my mind the song, We're Talking Baseball, by Terry Cashman. I thought the view, the listeners would appreciate that song. I, I think most people forgot about that song. Hmm, I've never heard it. What is it? Uh, what is it about? What? Give me the. Give me the little. It, it it talks about the old timers, and it, it it's a beautiful song that you would love if you heard it. I thought maybe we could share it with them. It's by Terry Cashman. All right, we can probably cue that up. You got that, Nick? DJ Nick. <laughs> yeah. All right, Brian. Thanks for the suggestion. We'll we'll, we'll incorporate that. In the show tonight, for sure. He's pulling up now. Awesome. So that was uh, Terry Cashman. We're talking baseball. I've never heard it, so I'm curious to see uh, about this here. Uh, what year we're talking baseball. We get all kinds here, you guys. We get all kinds. We're talking baseball, Wikipedia. By uh, Terry Cashman. 1981 song. Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana, all right. we would all right. scorn. So down on the corner, yeah. the national so we've got, uh, went on This to send you guys off to break. Talking baseball. Terry Cashman. I might add this to my Spotify playlist. Tim Haley coming up next on The Fan. We are joined right now by Tim Healy, Mets beat reporter or beat writer for Newsday Sports. Tim, thanks for joining us again here on The Fan. 
Happy to. Thank you for having me. Let's get right into it with this Mets team. They're two and 10 against the Dodgers and the Giants in this stretch. How would you categorize what has gone on with this team since Friday the 13th? It has been miserable for the Mets. You know, there is no sugar coating what they have done lately. Going into this, this stretch against two weeks exclusively against the Dodgers and Giants, the Mets knew, everybody knew it was going to be really important. We were going to learn a lot about the Mets. Pete Alonso called, me, called it a show-me stretch, which is a good way to put it. And the Mets have not showed anybody much of anything, at least not anything positive. They got swept by the Dodgers at home, avoided getting swept by the Giants, avoided getting swept by the Dodgers again, and now they're about to play the Giants for three games at home, the team with the best record in baseball. So it's been a grind for them. It's been a disaster for them um, as far as anything in sports can be a disaster. Um, so, you know, the standings say it all. This month they have lost – 10, 11 games in the National League East standing. So uh, they have their work cut out for them. Uh, they have some soft schedule coming up, so maybe they can capitalize on that. But these two weeks, you know, week and a half so far, it will be two weeks after the Dodgers, uh, after the Giants series. It's been bad. You had a brilliant tweet about the Dodgers hitting golf balls prior to the last game. What did you observe in the batting practice uh, segment there? That, that, that was amazing because I like to get to the ballpark early because you never know what you're going to see. Sometimes you go early and Noah Syndergaard is throwing his first live BP session, which was the case in San Francisco a few days ago. And then on Sunday, I got to the ballpark early and, uh, you know, it's a day games, quiet Sunday morning. Teams typically don't take batting practice in those situations, but a bunch of Dodgers players came out a with golf clubs and golf balls and set up at home plate. And they put somebody in catcher's gear in medium depth center field, the target, I guess. Um, and took their, <laughs> took their shots, tried to basically like a horseshoe styles game, or I guess a golf style game, get it as close as you can. And the guy who did best was Cody Bellinger and he whacked it into the bleachers and out in the outfield and then it bounced off the bleachers rolled back onto the field and right to the target and uh rightfully so Cody Bellinger lost his mind he was very excited um so that was uh something you usually don't see at the ballpark but it was a lot of fun but too bad he can't hit a baseball <laughs> right, just, yeah apparently <laughs> maybe that's a good thing for the Mets but do you think <laughs> that that lacks attitude I mean do you think that played into the Mets winning the game like they took the Mets a little too lightly um, you know, I don't think so because the Dodgers took six out of seven from the Mets and the Mets were able to escape with one, that one win, um, which was a very well-rounded team win. Um, so I don't really attribute it to the golf thing. I, I see the golf thing as one of the best teams in baseball, having a little fun, uh, on a Sunday morning. With that last win, the Mets, they, they scavenged that last win. Do you, what do you think? I mean, it's a long flight home. What do you think some of the conversations on that plane were? Well, whenever you win the last game of a series and then you fly, it's always a much happier upbeat uh, flight. Uh, had the Mets lost Sunday and then flew home, having lost six of seven in California, they were going to be eight games back in the division. That would be a 
quiet, unhappy, middle of the night type red eye, basically, right? Uh, they got in real late, early Monday morning. Um, but w- w- when you win, it's it's much happier. You know, a little more music, a little more drinking, I'm sure. Um, you know, you can relax a little bit, especially going into the off day. Um, that said, it also was a, a late night flight, so I, I'm sure there was some sleeping going on, too. <laughs> yeah, but in terms of, like, conversations, though, is it like, hey, we got this, like Pete Alonso, Eternal Optimist, or it's like, all right, well, we got away with one. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's, I, I think it's in between, you know, the Mets for all of their public optimism and Pete Alonso in particular, of course, has been very optimistic publicly. They are realists. They realize they've been bad. They realize they are in trouble in the, you know, in terms of the playoff standings. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not happy go lucky, totally upbeat. I'm sure. Um, but there was probably some optimism because, you, you know, they ended their road trip on the right note. Um, they know that they have some softer schedule coming up. As I, as I mentioned earlier, it's going to be 15 consecutive games against the Nationals and Marlins. So um, they, I, my expectation would be, is they would be neither completely optimistic nor despondent because they did win. Um, so they enjoyed the win, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, they're not head over heels for themselves because they know they uh, have a lot of catching up to do. Right now, I looked. The Mets have the fifth most runners left on base this season. And then over if you click on over the last three games, they're third most. So Hugh Quattlebaum, what does he have to say for that? What is his availability? Have, has anybody been able to talk with him? Yeah, Hugh Quattlebaum, we, we, you know, the beat reporters who were in San Francisco, there were a few of us. Um, we spoke to him on Wednesday in San Francisco hours after Steve Cohen's famous tweet ripping the offense, just expressing his complete dumbfoundedness, which was really fair, of course, because that's how everybody feels. Um, and Hugh Quattlebaum basically said, Steve Cohen is right. Um, it's and he, you know, he explained that it's not a work ethic problem. It's not for a lack of trying. It just hasn't happened yet. And he, he did not outright say it's a talent issue. But if you believe in your process and you believe in your messaging and you believe in your work ethic, you're starting to run out of things to blame the ineffectiveness on other than a lack of ability. Um, What's confusing about this Mets situation and this Mets offense is that a lot of these individual hitters have done it in the past. McNeil has been excellent. Lindor has been much better. Um, go down the list and almost everybody is underperforming to their career norms. Um, is that a hitting coach problem? Maybe they've had a couple hitting coaches and have had the same problem this year. You know, they fired Chili Davis in May. Um, is it, you know, every player in his career will have a bad year. Are the Mets in 2021 unlucky that a lot of important hitters are having that year in the same year? That is possible. Um, But the bottom line is Hugh Quattlebaum and the Mets don't really have an explanation for why the hitters collectively have been so bad. Um, And the the other piece of it is that, you know, some guys have been battling injuries. Dom Smith has has a wrist issue. Jeff McNeil has his leg issues. You know, you can go down the list. Everybody's probably has something. But other than Pete Alonso and Brandon Nimmo and J.D. Davis when he's healthy, 
it's been really bad offense. We're joined by Tim Healy from Newsday Sports, who is on the ground with the Mets during that West Coast trip. Uh, you know, Tim, I'm looking – am I right in looking into things like this? Like when I see J.D. Davis say, come on, Pete, F-word, and the yeah. acquisition of, you know, a big-name free agent's best friend, am I correct in looking at that as like signs of a clubhouse splintering? Um, the Mets as recently as Sunday in a conversation that I had, uh, with someone I trust really talks up the strength of the clubhouse. Um, you know, Zach Scott around the trade deadline made comments about team chemistry and even Brody Van Wagenen to go back to years past talked about how impressive the clubhouse chemistry was with this, this core, especially on the position player side. So I don't think the clubhouse is splintering per se, but naturally when you're losing at the rate the Mets have been losing, frustration is going to happen. Frustration eventually will bubble over in a public setting. You know, J.D. Davis wasn't happy apparently with Pete's defense on that play, but there have been other moments where people have not been happy with J.D. Davis's defense. So sometimes these things happen. Uh, I can't remember who the defender was on the play, but in Rich Hill's most recent start, some there was some misplay. And Rich Hill, it was caught, caught on the TV cameras, was right there on the broadcast, sort of looked exasperated, um, kind of rolled his eyes. So those are the things that naturally are going to happen over the course of the season, especially during the bad times. Another example of public frustration was Jeff McNeil's bat toss on what, let, let's be honest, it was a bad called strike three by the home plate umpire. Um, and McNeil was really mad. He was pissed off, um, which is the case a lot for him. You know, he's very hard on himself. Uh, so, you know, the way the Mets have been going, the frustration inevitably will become public in some instances, but I don't see that as indicative of the bigger picture clubhouse culture. You know, that play, the McNeil one that you just referenced, we talked about it on the yeah. air um, on my show. Did anybody ask Luis Rojas why he stayed glued to that top step of the dugout and did not come out and make a big deal about it? Yes. Yes. Because Rojas, and this is something that I don't think about in the moment, really, but from the dugout, Rojas explained this after the game, you can see height on pitches. So if a pitch is high or low and it's called wrong, you know, somebody in the dugout is going to have a very strong opinion. But when it's lateral, left or right, inside, outside, it's much harder to tell. So Rojas in the moment couldn't totally tell if it was a bad call. Um, much easier on replay, of course. So all he had to go on was McNeil's reaction. Um, so, you know, I, I, I guess you could say that McNeil reacted that way. Rojas should go out there and defend his guy. But, but on the other hand, McNeil reacts that way, not, you know, not infrequently. Um, so it, maybe it was a little bit of a boy who cried wolf situation. Um, but, you know, Ro Rojas did mention that after the game that from that, that type of pitch, from his angle in the dugout, it's it's hard to it's hard to read in the moment. With a day off on Monday and their season on the line, especially mm. against the Dodgers, in my opinion, how is it? How is now not the time to be extra cautious with uh, Lindor? Like, what's the holdup on him? It, it, they sh they should have him out there. 
Uh, you mean they should have had him out there on Sunday because of the day off Monday. Yeah. I think Lindor, I think Francisco Lindor agrees with that. That's basically the case he was making on Saturday when he was saying he wanted to come back Sunday. But the best the Mets do as far as public explanations on that stuff is reference their quote unquote performance team and say the performance team wants this, the performance team wants that. And the performance team is this group of, uh, you know, athletic trainers, nutritionists, uh, data science, or, uh, you know, sports scientists, sort of this, sort of an enigma in the Mets organization, at least from the outside, um, that becomes a catch-all when it comes to health, when it comes to resting guys because they need a day, even though they're, you know, a great matchup for the pitch of that day or whatever it may be. Um, Luis Rojas said, Francisco Lindor needed one more day or with the off day, two more days. They wanted to be extra cautious. The performance team wanted to be extra cautious. And the performance team is just this sort of publicly anonymous, all-knowing, apparently, group of health-related people. Um, And they are experts, to be clear. You know, I am just a random person, so I can't really question their judgment. But that is how the Mets work internally. They sort of defer even if Rojas wants Lindor back back Scott wants Lindor back they will defer to their ex- experts on the subject the performance team so what the perform what the performance team says goes performance team doesn't seem like they have access to the standings it seems <laughs> <laughs> um we've got a Syndergaard and his upcoming rehab assignment you know how soon do you think he can crack that major league roster it is the, well. The Mets have said for months now, early September, and based on where he is on August twenty third, August twenty fourth, that seems feasible. You know, if you, especially if you consider early September through September 9th or tenth or so, yeah. um, it is going to be. You know, he's got probably one more live batting practice session that should be Tuesday, Wednesday range, I would guess. And then after that, the expectation is he will go on a rehab assignment. How many rehab assignment rehab outings he needs is sort of unclear because the Mets are strongly leaning toward bringing him back as a reliever. So that makes his rehab schedule much harder to predict, right? When he was with starting pitchers or when he was stretching out as a starter in May in the minors, you know, you knew it was going to be every five days, maybe six days if there was a day off mixed in. And he was going to go three innings and then three innings again, and then four innings and then four innings again. Um, but with, with using him as a reliever, it's, it's much harder to predict to predict the rehab assignment is going to be shorter than it would normally be. But I don't know yet how many th- ways the Mets want to test Syndergaard, right? Do they want to use him for two innings or maybe three innings? Do they want to see what it's like in back-to-back days if he's pitching as a reliever? Um, so so there, there's a wide range of uh, potential boxes to check, so to speak, on his rehab assignment, and I'm not sure how interested the Mets are in checking those various boxes. We're talking with Tim Healy, Mets writer for Newsday Sports, with us here on The Fan. Um, the deal with the Grom is What? The deal with the Grom is he is still shut down through the end of this week. He is scheduled for or penciled in for yet another MRI on Friday or so. That will be the end of his two-week shutdown or his most recent two-week shutdown. So we should learn more Friday. 
If he is cleared to start a throwing program, best case scenario probably is coming back in late September. If he is not cleared, then I I don't see how he can pitch again this year. Um, Barring like the Mets going to the world series and giving DeGrom a lot more time to, to come back. Um, So uh, this week is going to be a big week for DeGrom Friday. Specifically, we should know more. Uh, So we'll find out soon, I guess. Final question. Looking up uh, the strength of schedules, and you referenced it before, the teams ahead of the Mets in the NL East, for the listeners here, um, the Phillies, they have the easiest strength of schedule in the league. The Braves have the 12th most difficult, and the Mets are right in the middle there, 16th most difficult. Tim Healy, how do you see the rest of this season playing out for the Mets? Um, You know, I I do not expect – the Mets to make the playoffs. That seems like an obvious statement, but I'm hedging my bets because I haven't ruled out them making a run because of the strength of schedule. They have had a miserable time against the Giants and Dodgers, but coming up next, like I said earlier, it was 15 straight games over two weeks against the Nationals and Marlins. Let's be clear, the Nationals and Marlins stink. The Mets have a huge chance here to make up significant ground on the Phillies, yes, but also the Braves, who are running away with the division. They're up, I think, there are seven games on the uh, Mets and five on the Phillies uh, coming into you know month, you know, the start of this week. Uh, so the Mets will have their chances, but they're going to have to prove it. And so far this season, they haven't really proved much of anything as far as being able to rise to the occasion. Uh, So the best part about baseball is we're going to find out, Um, you know, it looks unlikely on paper, but they have a chance and that's all they can ask for at this point. Yeah. And that's why you play the game, right? Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, Tim Healy, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. No one can love me better than you. No one can hurt me better than you. Nobody needs you more than Welcome back, you guys, to McCartan in the morning here on the fan in New York City. Turn this up, guys. <laughs> so, on a night where the Mets did not play, they didn't take the field. They've gained, I think it was a half game in the standings in the NL East. Do you want to know why? Because the New York Yankees defeated the Atlanta Braves. I played for you guys in the Open when I first came on. The high school musical, we're all in this together. Well, all New York baseball fans or fans of New York baseball teams were in it together because they were all rooting for a New York Yankees win over the Braves. And guess what? Yankees delivered. And the Yankees have extended their winning streak to 10 games. They haven't seen a 10-game win streak since September, I guess mid-September of 2020. And if you're a Mets fan, I channeled Paulie D before. I love scoreboard watching this time of year. Because, man, the Yankees are on a roll. The Mets are watching the scoreboard. Do you think the Mets can make the playoffs, the postseason? 
I know it sounds crazy. I know it's like a little bit inexplicable, but somehow I think the Mets can do it. I think they can get in. I call me Pete Alonso. Fine. I think they can get in. The the San Diego Padres are absolutely terrible. They're they're they've won two of their last eleven games and against teams that are not great. I mean, the Marlins, let's just throw that out there. So there's a lot of baseball to be played. I think the Mets have 37 games left. There's a lot of baseball left to be played. And I think I did the math. There was like 62% of those games. Yeah, 62% of those games, the Mets' remaining games, are against NL East opponents. So can they get in? They can if they are the team that that showed up at Dodger Stadium in the last game. What was it? Sunday night. The hustle team. The team that takes extra bases. The team that scores first. I mean... They, they, the story of their season is leaving runners in scoring position. Everybody knows that about the Mets. The Mets leave a ton of runners in scoring position. Over the last three games, they are, they've less, they have left the third most runners in scoring position over the last three games, and one of the games they won. So the eternal optimist, the Pete Alonzos of the world, could say, "Hey, well, there's a ton of traffic out there. All they need is one hit to get them in," and they wouldn't be wrong. Because the Mets are good. They have the second highest win percentage in the game when they get three or more hits with runners in scoring position. They're 29 and three. 29 in three. Yeah, you heard that correctly. So of their 37 remaining games, 23 of them are against NL East opponents. Can they do it? Well, if that hustle team shows up, they can. And if they're going to bring any of their momentum from L.A. to Queens and take on these Giants at City Field and beat them, I mean, if any of the games they're going to win, it's going to be tonight, Tuesday's game. Because starting pitcher Sammy Long, out of the next three you know, probable starting pitchers, he is the weakest of the three of them. They're going to have to steal one from San Francisco later today. Long's got a 5.72 ERA in 28 and a third innings pitched. And if you believe in war, he's got a negative 0.3 war. And did you know that the Mets, when they score first, are 45 and 17? When the Mets score first, they're 45 and 17. And they're matching up against a pitcher who's got an ERA of almost six. I mean, that sounds like a recipe for success, doesn't it? They hustle around the base paths. Everybody's talking about, you know, the buy in the first inning of that that last Dodgers game. Baez is hit, right? Oh, Baez, you know, he had a great hit. How about the great read that Brandon Nimmo had on that ball? I mean, the ball cleared the left fielder's glove by I don't know, like eight inches, possibly, potentially, right? Look at the replay. Brandon Nimmo was on first base. He ended up scoring. That is not only a great hustle, but a great read on a fly ball to left field. No one talks about that. And then VR, who forced an errant throw to second base. And then with a ball coming to a stop with about five feet behind second base, gets up and runs and takes third too. And then that Javier Baez, everybody's, oh, Baez, he had that hustle double. Yeah, look at that. Well, when that happened, in my notes, I wrote down, you know, Baez probably would have been out if Trey Turner, 
who's a shortstop, not a second baseman, was in the correct position to receive that throw at the bag rather than four feet away from the bag. But sure, give it to Baez, I guess, right? So I'm not, I'm, I'm sitting here in a Joe Namath jersey. I, I'm not guaranteeing that the Mets are going to make the playoffs, the postseason. I'm not. Because I played the song JoJo, Too Little, Too Late, way back, throwback to 2006, right? Is it too little, too late for the Mets? We'll find out. Everybody will find out. I'm not guaranteeing that the Mets are going to make the postseason. However, they're not mathematically eliminated. And when you still have a chance, mathematically, anything can happen. That's all I'm saying. And as far as the Yankees, I mean, the Yankees are absolutely rolling. Ten in a row. I mean... The keys from the game, the takeaways from the game versus the Braves. I mean, outstanding defense. The the play of the game. Bottom of the second inning, Joey Gallo lays out to take an extra base hit away and probably a run away from the Braves. He took a perfect angle to the ball, diving catch, sliding towards the foul line, and the runner stayed anchored to first base, did not advance. That is the Joey Gallo effect. That is the stuff that does not show up on uh, on, on a box score. He potentially kept a run off the board. At that point, what was it? It might have been 2-1 uh, to one at that point. I don't even know. one to one nothing, something like that. Close game. One run game at, at, at the very, uh, you know, at the very most. But what I'm saying is he does things. I know he strikes out. He has the most strikes out strikeouts in the entire league, 168. I know. But... He does things that keep, you know, keep runners off the base paths from from taking more bases on them. That in and of itself is important. I mean, tell me that your all your weight is going, all your momentum is carrying you to the foul line. You you're, you're on your stomach, and yet the guy still doesn't make a make a move to second base. If that was Brett Gardner, that guy would be on third, maybe not third, but he would definitely be on second base. I would run on Brett Gardner, and I'm not a major league uh, a major league player. By the way, that ball had a 35% catch expectancy. Pretty good. Then, you know, I was thinking, like, I'm watching that game. Like, you know, we don't give Jonathan Lewiska enough credit on my show. I don't give it to him. I mean, how good was he? He was just, he's just consistently excellent. And it showed again. Two innings of work Monday night. Two innings of, oh, wait, Yankees' longest winning streaks. I'm watching on the TV. Uh, 2020, 10, they made the ALDS. 2012, ten, streak of 10, they made the ALCS. 25, 2005, 10. I mean, apparently the lucky number for the Yankees of, of winning streaks is is 10, and they, they do good things in the postseason. That was just, sorry, that ADD'd me on the TV. That was pretty good. I wanted to bring that to you guys. But Jonathan the Wise Guy has been great. Two innings of work, four strikeouts, and two soft contact groundouts. I mean, Nothing better than a one-pitch, one-out to start the seventh inning. He's just been just great. I mean, Jonathan Lewiska has been amazing. Like, you can kind of sit back and relax and be like, all right, he's got it in that sixth, seventh, eighth inning, wherever he is. When the Yankees got Aroldis Chapman up, I was like, uh, oh, no. It's only 5-1. to one. Uh-oh. He did fine, though. And then perhaps the biggest surprise of the night, the two Yankees, offensively anyway, that everyone on this station and beyond likes to dog were the ones to come through with the only runs of the night. John Carlos Stanton, solo home run, a two RBI double, and Gary Sanchez tacked on his own two, an R- uh, two RBI single. 
insurance runs. Made it 5-1 Yankees. Dagger. Done. Done deal. And that's just, I guess, emblematic of, of this Yankees team. It's like, all right, well, today it's your day to step up. Today it's your day to step up. And it's you just never know who's going to be the guy that comes through. And ultimately, really, ultimately today, it was Gary Sanchez. I mean, come on. And then the Jets have this this whole thing going on with Carl Lawson. Obviously, they lost him uh, for the rest of the season, season-ending torn Achilles. And it was Saturday we talked, okay, you know, the Jets are probably going to address it from within. Robert Sala has a good track record of doing so. I mean, think about it. He lost Bosa, Solomon Thomas, uh, and uh, Richard Sherman, to name a few, in that in the last time he was in, in, in San Francisco. Team ended up being, what, the fifth in total defense, fourth in passing defense, you know, so... He knows how to do it, right? And then the Green Bay game happened. And you're like, oh, baby, they need some help because the Jets registered one sack on a Green Bay quarterback. And we're not even talking defensive line. We're just talking in general here. One sack, and that was by a safety, backup safety, JT Hassel. And then, okay, all right, sacks aren't everything, the whole story. I I get it. What about quarterback hits? Well, they had one. The Jets had one quarterback hit. And that was by backup defensive lineman Bryce Huff. That's not great. So it was almost expected that, you know, Adam Schefter's tweet came out hours after the game, uh, you know, Sunday. You know, the song I played for you guys was Beyonce, Upgrade You. Well, the the, the Yankees, the Jets are looking to upgrade their defensive line. And, And per Adam Schefter, it says a trade before the season is being explored. Well, I would be okay with that if Joe Douglas does it the right way. See, if I'm Joe Douglas, I'm not looking for defensive linemen to replace Carl Lawson. Because remember, Lawson is not a rental player. What I would say is I would want a player to come in to play alongside Lawson when it's time for him to come back. And so you think of the Jets' dominant defensive lines as of recent, right? Okay. Wilkerson, Muhammad Wilkerson, Sheldon Richardson, and Leonard Williams. That was pretty dominant, right? Now, what about next year? Because Lawson's gone for the season. But what about Lawson, Quinn and Williams, and someone else? That someone else via trade I have for you coming up. I have some suggestions. I did some research. I think the Jets can pull it off, honestly. Any one of the guys. I always put plausible things out there. I don't like putting all this fantasy stuff out there. Like I think these guys are a plausible thing. And by the way, I did scour. I didn't really scour. I, I looked through the free agent market. None of them really hit my eye, honestly. It's going to happen via trade. I got some guys for you guys, Jets fans, in, in case you're wondering. And uh, by the way, Everson Griffin came off the board. He officially signed with the Minnesota Vikings Monday afternoon. That's four-time pro bowler, Everson Griffin. So he's off. Don't call me about him and any other of the free agents, to be honest with you. And then the Giants. Listen, I, I really like Joe Judge. I think he's got a great scouting eye. He's an excellent fundamentals coach. He's got the old-school mentality and embodiment of what the New York football Giants are. Yet, he has not given his quarterback a single, I'm going to do air quotes here, game rep 
in this preseason. I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't understand that, really. I mean, listen, Joe Judge is going to be a, a football coach here in New York for a long time to come, I think. But why is Daniel Jones still holding a clipboard on the sidelines in the first two preseason games? I don't get it. I know I, I'm not there, clearly. I wasn't in Cleveland, but all the reports are that he's been getting his work in during these joint practices. What I'm here to say is there is no substitution for, again, as close to game day as you're going to get while still being in the preseason. I mean, listen, you look at all the quarterbacks across the league that are getting playing time. You know, secure quarterbacks that have their starting position wrapped up. Patrick Mahomes, he's playing. I mean, Tom Brady is entering his 22nd season in the NFL and yet he's still out there making plays in the preseason. Daniel Jones is 24 years old. Tom Brady has almost been playing football as long as Daniel Jones has been alive. And yet he's still out there making preseason plays. I mean, why I say this is because the Giants have Daniel Jones, right? He is a third-year NFL quarterback. He's entering his third season. He's, the team is in a pivotal year. I mean, they're locked and loaded to make a run. I, I don't know if anybody realizes this, but the Giants, look at their salary cap situation. If you're not locked and loaded to make a run, then why do you have the second to worst cap situation in the entire league at this very moment? They're se- the Giants are second only to the reigning Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You tell me that that team's not ready to make a run? Come on. And not to mention... This is Daniel Jones's second, only his second year in Jason Garrett's offense. And last year, don't forget how quickly we forget, last year's program was conducted mostly virtually. So all of these things are pointing to the fact that Daniel Jones should be getting reps, air quotes again, game reps in the preseason games. I mean... I know he's not doesn't have his A team around him. I get that. I do understand that. But there are things that he can work on individually in a series or two. Considering everything that I just said, he can work on his footwork. He can work on his timing, um, his pocket presence, when to bail, when to roll out, get a feel for it again. His line of scrimmage reads, that's a mental aspect he can work on. I mean, there are so many things that Daniel Jones can work on with a series or two in these. And not to mention, he's coming off the injury. I just, listen, I said, I like Joe Judge. I just can't figure out why Daniel Jones hasn't gotten a single snap in a preseason game yet. And and again, I do know that Joe, Joe Judge said on Monday, he said my expectation at this point would be for Daniel to play at least the first half against the Patriots, that is, and decide what we do coming out of halftime later in the week. I don't know. I don't know about that. Especially since the season is an extra week this year. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. All right, we'll get uh, we'll get to your calls. 877-337-6666 is the phone number. Do you think the Giants are doing right by Daniel Jones? I certainly don't think so. Your official station to talk Yankees. The Fan on 1019 FM and the Odyssey app.
Welcome back to McCart in the Morning here on The Fan. Got about a half an hour left in the show before the warm-up show with Jerry and Al comes your way. Which means you only have about 30 minutes to get back on the phone. It's 877-337-6666 is the number. I've laid out everything for you guys. The Yankees are on a roll, winning 10 straight. The Mets gained a half a game in the standings because of the Yankees' win over the Braves. And the Mets are about to welcome the best team in baseball to City Field later today. And if they, they have a, if, if there's a game to steal for the Mets, it's going to be this one. It has to be this one. Um, I think everybody, I mean, that's a Mets fan, is hoping for a Mets win and a Yankee win. I mean, we're all in this together. All baseball fans in New York, are, we're in this together with this Yankees-Braves series. And I have some suggestions for the Jets to fill the Carl Lawson need. And Daniel Jones is apparently going to be getting a half of football this upcoming uh, week three preseason game against the Patriots. One whole half. Oh, man. Anyway, 877-337-6666 is the number. To Brooklyn we go. And Joe, you're up on the fan. I have a couple of uh, points that I want to talk about. One is about the Yankees. Yes. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I don't know how long ago the trades were, so I forgot who was uh, the host that night. Um, but uh, I was saying that I had a feeling that they could go all the way. Um, then they weren't doing so well, but currently they're on a 10-game ten, ten winning streak, and I think they could go all the way. I just wanted to get your opinion on that. What do you think? If they have that chance to make it all the way this year? The way that they're playing, they are a completely different team now than they were before the trade deadline. So you have a great point there. Do I think they can go all the way? They have a really good chance of doing it. The one thing that I would be worried about is the bullpen. The They, they can't seem to shut a game down. If that makes sense. Right. I mean, I agree with you on that one. If they can get that to work, I think that could be unstoppable. Yes. The lineup is pretty awesome with Gallo and Rizzo. Um, so, I, listen, I, I am a, a diehard Yankee fan, and, I want, and I'm going to start dreaming about it. But uh, I just wanted to know uh, if somebody else uh, feels the same way. Um, question number two is regarding the Nets. I'm an XM. I want to talk about the Nets and the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw LeBron was talking about that uh, that they should worry, even though they're so old, they're still going to be uh, the best team out there. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, um, I think they're very old. Everything has to work 100% all the time for them, for them to be able to be on the on the court at the same time. And and as well, LeBron keeps on saying that 30, uh, 35 LeBron would dominate 27-year-old LeBron. I don't think that's true either. I don't think I mean, so either, yeah, even, no way. Yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 obviously he's not the, the the average typical person, but everybody gets older. So, uh, but I think the Nets all around, when everybody's healthy, they have a full team, have the best NBA team out there. Yeah, and, that's and my that, personal opinion. Joe, yeah, that's a good point. And did you have one more point, or do you want me to just roof off of that now? No, that's all. That's all. Okay, all right, Joe. I'm gonna hang up so you can have a good night. You Thank too. you. So, good point that you bring up with the Nets and the Lakers. I think I was talking to my uncle about this the other day. He, big Nets fan, he is. So. The Nets, they're starting five. Probably the best in basketball. Problem is that Kyrie Irving goes to a birthday party and has to miss a week. Uh, Kevin Durant, you know, day off here and there. Harden, you know, it's just like when they're all together, they are an unstoppable force. However, the depth on that team, I mean, trading Jared Allen, 
I mean, that was the, the that was it. That was the backbreaker for the Nets, I think, because I don't think they have enough depth to, you know, to, to cover for it all. But in terms of talent, I think the Nets are the, the most talented team in the league, hands down. Younger players, players in their prime, like like you had just said. So uh, we're going to see. We're going to get a good look at it because the Nets and the Lakers are going to be on prime time on Christmas Day. So that's like an all-star game. It's like watching an all-star game. Going to be a ton of scoring, not a lot of defense. Speaking of defense, what can the Jets do? Well, here it is. Um, let's put it this way. If the Jets make the playoffs this season, it would be a nice surprise. So why would they waste their assets on a rental player in that situation? If they see the mentality would be different if they're a surefire contender and their best defensive lineman went down. Then of course you push all the chips into the center and figure it out later. But the truth is the Jets are not on paper anyway. You know anything can happen, but the Jets are not a playoff team as constructed as everything is predicting right now. I mean they've got the Bills in their division. Let's just let's put that out there. But if they go, do they go the free agency route? Well, Everson Griffin he's off the board. Ezekiel Ansah, uh, that's a name I've seen, but to me, he's past his prime. Doesn't fit any, you know, in, in line with the defensive line of the future idea because I proposed Lawson, Williams, and I think the Jets should be looking for someone that fills in alongside Lawson next season, not just a rental player for this season, right? Another somewhat intriguing name via free agency, Olivier Vernon. But, I don't know. I said somewhat. He's still out looking for someone to pick him up. He had nine sacks for the Browns last season. But the problem is, he tore his Achilles in the regular season. Uh, Finale. The last game in a year. So, I mean, the Jets doctors, actually, their head doctor, I guess he is. His, His kid played on my volleyball team, actually. So, I trust him. Right to make a good decision is what I'm trying to say. The Jets would have to take a really good. The doctors would have to take a really hard look and see when Olivier Vernon can return because it would not. I'll tell you right now, I'm not a doctor. It's not going to be immediately. The Jets need help now. So the trade route, right? If the Jets went the trade route, they're listen. They're hosting the Eagles for a joint practice later today, Tuesday. And tomorrow, Wednesday. This might be a personal, perfect scenario for them and their personnel. Because if you think about it, there's a great... You do these joint practices with teams that you have great relationships with. I mean, you're seeing it in a race. Stefanski and Joe Judge, they played like peewee football together. I mean, Judge came from... Came from New England... They're having a joint, the Giants are having a joint practice with the New England Patriots. So now you got the Jets having a, a joint practice with the Eagles. Joe Douglas used to be the VP of player personnel for the Eagles. And, and that led right up until he took the Jets job. So there's a great relationship there. So then you look at what kind of players do the Eagles have? Derek Barnett, eh. Josh Sweat, eh. But. 
I would take, if I'm the Jets, a really good hard look. Is my I have one, two, three suggestions here. First one, since it's the, the Eagles are going to be in Florham Park later today and Wednesday, I would take a really good hard look at Brandon Graham. I don't know if they'd be willing to trade him, but I mean, for the right price, right? Brandon Graham's got a really big contract. The Jets can afford it, though. He's a Super Bowl champion with the Eagles. So that brings immediate pedigree, immediate street cred to the locker room. And although he's 33 years old, which is like old for a defensive lineman, right? He's coming off a Pro Bowl season. Now, I don't know if that's the outlier you know, in his career. I'm not sure. That would be the only like con to him. But I, I would take a really good hard look at him. Otherwise, outside of the Eagles, outside of that joint practice, I have two names. One, I know Jet fans are going to go crazy for. We'll start with that one. Chandler Jones from Arizona. You know, I think it's a possibility. I don't like playing fantasy GM here, so I think it's a real possibility. I mean, a month ago, just about a month ago, I mean, rumors came out that he he had asked to be traded this past offseason from the Cardinals. So there you go. There's the first indication that he doesn't want to play for the Cardinals. Because according to Jeremy Fowler, this is a tweet from Jeremy Fowler, he says, uh, Ch- Chandler Jones is unhappy with his contract and with the future with the team, like basically his role on the team. So he's clearly not happy there. I'm going to just venture to bet that the Jets, with a lot of cap space, are willing to work out a contract. And, I mean, they guarantee, basically be guaranteeing him a starting role. And, you know, a big one, obviously. For the Jets. So that's kind of like win-win if you're Chandler Jones, right? Work out your contract situation probably. And definitely, you'd be starting. However, the one thing I would have to say about Chandler Jones is he's coming off a season where he was on the IR since mid-October. And what was the injury? He tore his biceps. Okay. It's not like it's an ACL or anything. So, I mean, all right. Because when the guy averages, including that season, 11 sacks per season. Like, he's a beast. I don't need to tell you that. The guy's a beast. And when you take out that last season, because it was only, like, I think two games, you take that out of the data set, it's he's, he has 12 sacks per season. That's the kind of production that the Jets need. So, okay, Chandler Jones, probably number one, right? Number two. I would take a really good look at Dante Fowler Jr. from Atlanta. Again, I don't know. He's not like Chandler Jones where he has expressed that he's unhappy with where he is. But Dante Fowler Jr. from the Falcons, very intriguing. He was drafted third overall in 2015. And he played 14 games at defensive end for the Falcons last season. But he came up as a linebacker for the Jaguars. Okay. Guess who was his linebacker's coach in Jacksonville? Any guesses? Robert Sala. Hmm, talk about relationships, right? Familiarity factor. The Jets need a guy that can sack the quarterback. Well, also a lot to like about Dante Fowler Jr. And he just restructured his deal with the Falcons again, so I don't know if they'd be willing to to move him, but as his contract is currently constructed, the contract awards him bonuses for various you know, levels of sacks. So 
He gets a million-dollar bonus if he has five sacks. He gets a $2 million bonus once he hits seven sacks. And then it goes on. It's it's five, seven, nine, eleven, and beyond, right? He gets more money and more money for each of them, each of those levels. I love that. <laughs> as, as a front office, I would love that because the guy is going to be highly motivated. I mean, he's got incentives built in to make the Pro Bowl. He's got uh, incentives built into his contract, playing time minimums, highly motivated. I think it's a go if Atlanta is willing to part with him. He, he's got six years of experience. He's only 27 years old. It's a possibility that I like. So Chandler Jones, if they're willing to move him. Dante Fowler, if they're willing to move him. But I would take a look at Brandon Graham from the Eagles, too, if they're willing to move him. Jets have three options there. They have the, the draft capital to do it. They have the cap space to do it. I say make a move and, and get a guy that can play alongside Carl Lawson in the years, hopefully, potentially to come. Not to just replace him. Because like I said, don't do it. The Jets are not a playoff team on, on paper. If they make the playoffs, that would be like a surprise. Woo, surprise, the Jets made the playoffs. I wouldn't look at this as, as getting a rental player. I would look at it as building a defensive line of the future. So those are three guys that I would look at to do it. All right, so how do the Mets stack up against the Giants, the San Francisco Giants, that is, for this upcoming series? Well, they're certainly obviously going to have their work cut out for them. Let's talk about some ways in which they can capitalize on Giants' weaknesses coming right up. You guys know what this music means? Nick is laughing. This music means it is time to pick up your phone. Give me a call at 877-337-6666. This is your last chance. I'm on till 5. The warm-up show with Alan Jerry comes up next in the next uh, 17 minutes or so. So get aboard. 877-337-6666 is that phone number. I told you guys, Mets fans, wake up. If you have a chance, if the Mets have a chance to, to take any game against the San Francisco Giants, it has to be the game later today. I'll tell you why. Obviously, the Mets, the work is going to be cut out for them. I mean, the Giants are coming into town. They are the hottest team in baseball. Sustained, I guess. I mean, the, I know the Yankees are, but the, the, the Giants still have the best record in all of baseball. That's what I'm trying to say. So, two themes for the entire series are, number one, they need to jump out to an early lead. Again, the Mets are 45-17 and 17 when they score first. And that is going to rest on the shoulders of Brandon Nimmo. He's got a 408 on base percentage for the season, which is good for a tie for third in all of baseball going into going into Monday night's games. Because obviously the Mets didn't play Monday. So and a theme for the entire series, number two, their pitchers, the Mets pitchers, that is, better hope that their secondary stuff is working. Want to know why? Because the Giants have a league-leading 867 on-base plus slugging percentage on fastballs. So that's uh, yikes. So Mets pitchers better hope that their secondary stuff, secondary, is working. Not just the fastball, because they're going to get crushed. And then Tuesday, later today, the game that pretty much is the only win I see for the Mets out of this series, you'll see Tyler McGill against Sammy Long. 
McGill's having a pretty good year. 2.45 ERA, 2.06 opponent average in six starts, but problem is he throws a fastball 57% of the time. So what did we just talk about? I'm not sure this is going to be a great matchup for him because he's got a pitch arsenal of just three, three pitches. And the next frequently used pitch in that arsenal is a changeup. But you can't change anything up if you don't show them an effective fastball first, which, as we just talked about, is really hard to do against this team. So, like I said, Tuesday's going to be the day if they're going to do it. Sammy Long, the opposing pitcher, 5.72 ERA. He's the Giants' weakest pitcher, probable pitcher, in this entire series. And then if you look ahead for the Mets, Taiwan Walker, fastball usage, 57% of the time. But at least he's got, I mean, I won't count the cutter. He only uses 3% of the time. At least he's got a slider, a split finger, and a curveball that he can go to. Taiwan Walker might be a good matchup against this, this Giants offense. And Carlos Carrasco, another three-trick pony. Fastball, slider, changeup. A lot like McGill. So, I don't know. But, based on the pitchers that the, the Giants are rolling out there, today's the day. Tuesday is the day. All right, we'll go back to your calls. 877-337-6666. To the Bronx we go. Pat, you're on the fan. Uh, thanks for keeping me company, and thanks for taking the call. Oh, thanks for keeping me company, Pat. Yes, uh, I, I, I remain optimistic about the Mets. You know, uh, I, I, I found myself now rooting for the Yankees this series, clearly. Uh, I wanted yes. to knock off the Braves. And as we know, history has told us that a seven-game lead in a division is, is not uh, an automatic win of the division. Right, first-hand We're knowledge, right? the other side of the aisle. <laughs> yep. And I, I'm hoping that Lindor will come back. I'm hoping that's not, uh, you know, something that'll be forever. Oh, and no, maybe Lindor DeGrom will, be will make an appearance if it's tight in September. Last couple of years, we've had a history of playing good down the stretch. But when we're really out of it, I don't think we're out of it yet. Listen, the Mets are out of it when they are, any team is out of it when they are mathematically out of it. And since the Mets are not mathematically out of it, I'm giving him a chance. And Lindor will be back. He was supposed to be active on Sunday's game. They wanted to be cautious with him. He'll be back. What, what he can do once he gets back, that's, that's another question. Well, I know the Mets' schedule is getting a little softer, and yes. I know the Braves' schedule is getting a little harder, mm-hmm. and the Phillies still haven't straightened out that thing about their bullpen, about closing games late. So uh, I remain optimistic because we are facing the Nationals, who seem to be laying down. I think we're facing them seven more times. So, you know, keep hope alive, you know? Yes, I, I know. And, and, Pat, call me and you. Call us Pete Alonzo all you want, right? But I, I look at things as objectively and and unbiased as possible. Really, I do. I try to. And when I look at this Mets team, they have a lot of fight in them. They have a lot of hustle in them. And they've got a schedule that upcoming is pretty favorable. Because they've got, I I think it's 13 games against the Nationals and uh, and the Marlins, just off the top of my head. The problem is, though, I mean, you're supposed to beat the teams that, you're supposed to win the games against the teams that you're supposed to beat. So based on the standings in the NL, you got the fourth place Washington Nationals and the fifth place Miami Marlins. 
The Mets are above both of them in the standings. The problem is the Mets have won, let's say, let's round it, they're 500 against the Nationals this season. And guess what? Against the Marlins, I almost said the Dolphins, the Marlins, they've got a 333 win percentage. I mean, they play, based on those numbers, they actually play the Braves, the Mets do, better than they play the Marlins. At least against the Braves, the Mets are 500. 8-8. Eight eight. But against the Miami Marlins, I mean, that, I, mean I, don't, I, I can't, ex- that's inexplicable to me. And if the Mets fail to make the playoffs, I think we're all going to point to that series against the Marlins where I think, what was it, they went, they lost three of four or something like that to them. That was the turning point of the season for the Mets if they fail to make the playoffs, the postseason, that is. So we'll wait and see. But the NL East is, is probably one of, if not the weakest divisions in all of baseball. And then you look at the AL East and what's going on there. I mean, the Yankees. Who would have thought the Yankees are only four games back? If you told me before the trade deadline that the New York Yankees were going to be four games back behind the Tampa Bay Rays only in the AL East standings, I would have laughed in your face. What happened at the trade deadline was, I mean, <laughs> nothing short of miraculous. Can, can, we, can I use the word miraculous with what happened there? I mean, just the presence. just And we talked about it at nauseum up until the trade deadline. Just the presence of a left-handed bat in that order makes all the difference. For opposing pitchers, starting pitchers, for opposing managers who have to navigate a bullpen, you know, with a three-batter minimum. The Yankees won 5-1 to one against the Braves. 5-1 Monday night. And yet, when you look at the box score, Anthony Rizzo was 0-5. And Joey Gallo was 0-2. You know, he had two walks. But between the two of them, they were 0-7 with two walks. And yet, the Yankees still won 5-1. That's just a testament to show you just how potent this offense really could be once it gets going. And I, when I asked Garrett Cole about it, can Garrett Cole, can you please explain to me, I didn't say it like this, but can you please explain to me, Yankees first half versus Yankees second half, what is the difference? Because when I looked at 10 different offensive metrics in my bedroom, on base percentage, all, all this stuff, there wasn't anything that was much higher in the second half than it was in the first half. And he kind of basically said, and I'm paraphrasing, you, got, you guys can go back and watch it, listen to it on WFA and social channels, but paraphrasing what he said, he, in essence, he basically just said, like, hey, like, players are just playing better. We are playing better. They're, they're living up to the back of their baseball card. And he's right. I mean, the two Yankees that everybody loves to dog, Stanton and Sanchez, they came through. They were the only guys to have RBIs in, in uh, Monday night's game. The only two. Stan- Sanchez and Stanton. Go figure. LeMayhew. No hits. Rizzo. No hits. I'm looking at the box score. Gallo. No hits. Then you got a little 
funky thing with the the substitution, Stanton, Loisga, Void, blah, blah. Still, no hits. Odor, none. So when you look at it, the Yankees really only had six hits. And two, two went to Judge, two to Stanton, and then Sanchez won, Velasquez won. Now that's going to be an issue. Because... I don't want to say issue, like it's a bad thing. But the Yankees have a lot of depth now. All of a sudden, the Yankees have a ton of depth. And Gio Urshela, according to Aaron Boone, is uh, is, is slated to, to rejoin the team in time for the Oakland A's series. So which of these players are you going to part with? Boone, of course. Use the word, it's a fluid situation. So that's something to look look at and for. I, I want to guess that they're going to keep an extra bench player rather than an extra pitcher. That would be my guess. Um, just so Velasquez can stay up there. Odor can stay up there. I mean, Gardner, Jesus, I don't know. I wish you could send him down, right? 0 for 2 with two strikeouts. And, and he had the entire left side of the field to utilize in that ninth inning, and he just couldn't do it. Swinging like a moron. I mean, come on. Swinging away, come on. So... I know that Gio Rochella has a rehab outing in Somerset later tonight, Tuesday. And so does Corey Kluber. He's going to take the mound again. Obviously, Urshela is closer to a return than Kluber is at this point. So, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see what happens. But if I'm the Yankees, I'm keeping up an extra position player. Because I think at this point right now, you know, the bullpen is, is rested. They had a day off on uh, on Sunday. They had Loisga come in and pitch two innings. They had uh, Chapman come in after that. I mean, they did, they used in Peralta. They had four total pitchers. It's well rested. I would keep the pitchers up there. Uh, if I'm the team, I w- I mean, I would I would send the pitcher down if I if I were them because they've got plentiful options to to choose from, and I would keep the extra position player up there. And speaking of relievers. Did you see uh, Zach Wilson went on the 10-day IL? And we talked about it a little bit in the open. We had one call about it early in the show. Yeah, it's, what are they saying? It's a, it's a shoulder strain or elbow strain. You know what? I, I, honestly, I really don't care exa- what it is. It's a left elbow sprain I'm seeing, retroactive to 820. Okay, I don't care what it is. You know what it is? I think it's more of a mental reprieve than anything for Zach Britton. I mean, he told you that he's he's... This is a quote, pitching-like expletive that starts with an S for most of the season, he said. At the time, I flagged that as a major confidence issue. And then that theory was compounded by a Brian Hoke tweet that we talked on air, I think, as it came out. Zach Britton told Aaron Boone, I don't deserve to be out there and save opportunities right now. Talk about major confidence issues. Now, he did have a good outing after that. He did. I just think this is more of a stint to the IL just to, I don't know, just get his mind right. Get his mind in shape for this supposedly deep playoff run, postseason run that the, that the, that the Yankees are going to make. And I don't think it's a bad thing. Honestly, I was kind of hoping that they were going to do it. Boone said something about they're going to go for extra testing, extra MRIs. Okay, fine. Probably has to say that. But honestly... In my heart of hearts, I believe that they're they're giving Zach Britton just just a mental release from the game. Go ahead, 
Go and get your mind right and come back and dominate. That's what I think. It's not, it's not a bad move. So when you look at, you know, who the Yankees have in the bullpen and everything, even without Zach Britton, I think they're still fine. And I know Mets fans are hoping for another Yankee win. So there's going to be a lot of scoreboard watching going on Tuesday night. The Yankees uh, and the, the Braves. And then the Mets have the have the Giants coming to town. Yankees are on at 720. That's a weird time. 720 tomorrow night. And the Mets are, I can't find it on here. Mets are 710 first pitch. So Mets with their 61 and 63 record looking for a playoff spot. Hey. Crazier things have happened, haven't they? Well, and you know what else, too? I, you know how I like to go to all the, the ballparks? So if I wasn't working like tonight and tomorrow night, or I guess this morning and tomorrow morning, this was the game I had circled. This was the Atlanta Braves series that I had circled on my calendar. I, I wanted to be there for this Yankees-Braves series. It would have been ballpark number uh, 21 for me as a fan. This was the one. I had this on my calendar, and then when they said, hey, can you do these shifts? I was like, yes, I'd rather be here doing the shifts. Uh, although, I w- this was the game. Monday night's game was the game I was eyeing up. That was the game I wanted to be at, and it would have been a Yankees win. But I did notice. Did you see how crowded it was? I mean, it was like sold out. So I will, uh, I'll add the, the Atlanta ballpark, Atlanta Braves ballpark, uh, for, for another trip. And I also was supposed to go to Tampa this season, actually, too, to see the Yankees play there. But red tide happened, and that, that was the end of that. <laughs> so, all right. Thanks to all the callers. I could not have done this without you guys tonight. If you missed any portion of tonight's show, you can hit that Odyssey Rewind feature. Select the start of the show, 2 a.m. I will see you at the same bat time, same bat channel tomorrow morning. You guys hit me up on Twitter at CoachMCCARTAN or Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. Until then, great job to Nick Matina in the Matina behind the glass tonight. Bob Husler on the updates. And, uh... Enjoy the Mets and Yankees game, you guys. Hope for a win for both New York teams. The warm-up show with Al Dukes and Jerry Recco is up next here on The Fan. Sports Radio 101.